Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Critch alongside, as always, the King of Banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what are we doing tonight? We got a lot of stuff going on. I feel good. I feel great. Because I feel like we've been doing <laughs> WWE on this show for like a million straight weeks. Yeah, it's, it's grating. And we mentioned that this was going to happen. When the brand split happened, I think it was the show before the brand split or the show after, and we said, oh, God damn it, every week now we have to talk WWE. Like, have to talk WWE almost every week. Because you're either previewing a pay-per-view or you're reviewing a pay-per-view because of the two brands. And there's a bit of a gap here. When is the, uh, what is it, the Fast Lane coming up? The Fast Lane, yes. That is uh, next week. I forgot what the, the 7th maybe. I think somewhere around there. One, one of those days. But yes, we got another week until Fast Lane. So. Right. So we don't have to do a single word into that company this week. <laughs> and we are not going to. And we're not going to. I mean, <laughs> we're going to relish that opportunity for sure. We can sit here and break down SmackDown Live. I don't think anybody wants to hear that. Um, it was a good show this week, though. It, it was a it. decent show this week, but and, and you know maybe if we hadn't done WWE a million straight weeks in a row, we would do something like that. But the problem is with all this WWE, and really so much to talk about with New Japan every week, it feels like we've neglected everything else. And this is the one wrestling podcast, Rich, as you know, and the listeners know, that is sort of a catch-all for the entire world of wrestling. Uh, there really wasn't a podcast like this before we came around five, six years ago. At least not one that did a decent job at it. And, you know, there have been some that have come after us, but not ones that do a decent job at it. So we are still, as you can see, our, you know, my trademark modesty coming out here. <laughs> yeah, Jesus we, Christ. But, I'm just going to say But come on, you know it's true. But, it, but it. it's not easy to do a show like this because you, where, you really got to pay attention to everything. And, 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 and we've really neglected some of the other uh, stuff that we used to cover on a more regular basis. So this, is, this show, I think, is a good opportunity to uh, catch up on some other stuff that's going on. Because we got a little break here from WWE. we got a little break here from New Japan. The anniversary show is coming up. 
that's going to be a huge show. I mean, they're really stacking that lineup. They want to fill that. They did. Yeah. We're going to talk briefly about that lineup, but yeah, we're going to give it a proper review next week because it's not until next weekend. So we we got a little bit of time to give it a proper review, but we do want to cover the card real, real briefly because there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of fun stuff too. Like there's, you know, really good matches. If you're a big new Japan fan, there's some other stuff. If you're into like grimy indies or whatever, which we'll, we'll get to a little bit. And then there's an awesome debut going on there too. So there's a lot of stuff on that anniversary show, but we'll give it the more proper longer breakdown next week. But I think we're going to talk about it briefly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, we'll touch on the little bit of news that came out of the Togi Makabe anniversary show, which which kind of uh, led to a couple of matches that are happening at the anniversary show. Um, but other than that, we're not going to do too much New Japan today either. We're going to do all kinds of uh, wacky promotions like Noah the Reborn. We're going to do some All Japan, a little bit of Dragon Gate, which always gets neglected, even though we love it and we watch it. Somehow we we'll still forget to. Dragon Gate today. Well, we will somehow, some way. Still forget, which is weird because we always watch Dragon Gate, which is the, like, because, and that's, I think people think that we, maybe because we neglect it, we don't, we watch it all the time. You watch, you're an avid watcher of Dragon Gate. I watch it all the time and I love it. It's just, it's so weird. We, we just somehow get in this thing where we forget to do it and, and we, or we forget to talk about it or we say, yeah, we'll do it and we do it at the end of the show and something else happens. It, it's just, yeah, we don't mean to neglect Dragon Gate. We feel very bad about it. But thankfully, we have opened the voice again on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network and they do a fantastic job. Uh, covering Dragon Gate when we miss it, but not this time. Not this time, Joe. We were talking Dragon Gate today. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to it today. I mean, we watch all this shit. It's just sometimes we can't get to it because we're just over overloaded with WWE and New Japan stuff, which we're not. We're going to get to a little Evolve, do a little Ring of Honor. I mean, there's a lot to do. I want li- – listen, last week, I can't even remember the name of it. What was that promotion we opened with last? I can't even remember the name of it anymore. Uh, PWE, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that it? So it, 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 I wanted to do a little Wrestle Circus here because I went to that show, Rich, and I got to tell you. Yeah, do it right now. Yeah, let's go. They got that video on demand up, nine ninety nine. They've got. Uh, it looks like you can subscribe to Wrestle Circus for nine ninety nine ninety nine a month. I don't know what you're going to get out of that because they only run one show a month. Um, it doesn't look like any of the old shows are up either. But you can purchase the show that I just went to on Sunday, Rich. That you know, I hesitate to say it was the best show I've ever been to live. Because I'd really have to think hard on something like that with all of those Ring of Honor shows that I've been to, all of the ECW shows that I've been to, WWE pay-per-views, Dragon Gate USA, a million different indie shows. I've definitely been into hundreds of wrestling shows, definitely into three figures. I don't know if it was the best wrestling show that I've ever been to live, but I can confidently say I don't know that I can name five better shows that I've seen live, and I might not be able to name three. I mean, this show, wall-to-wall, okay, it was five fucking hours, which is ridiculous. <laughs> the card is ridiculous. Yeah, the card is, is long and ridiculous and has just names top to bottom, too. No, I, and I, I totally believe it when you say that. I mean, I, I, of course, I, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I am going to watch the VOD at some point, but just seeing the review, uh, what, what you were talking about on Twitter, you sort of lie tweeting it, uh, the people that were there in the arena too that aren't you that maybe we're not aligned with or whatever, just retweets I was seeing from from you know Russell Circus, you know retweeting different accounts or whatever. Everybody too, everybody loved it. I mean, it was we we had all of our followers that were there, which were quite a few actually, and I hope you you had a chance to meet up with some of them. But all of them went away with rave reviews too. And you read this card and you're like, all right, yeah, like there's the card itself reads as an incredible card. It's. What what I felt like was I, what I was thinking to myself when I was when this show was was hitting the home stretch was I this must be what PWG feels like because it had that kind of vibe where it's just star after star coming out and then just working their fucking like look, look Rich we've all been to indie shows we know when these guys put it into that next gear 
Do you know what I'm talking about? You can. Oh yeah, certainly. You can feel. And look, I'm not saying that 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 guy's dogging on on certain shows, but you always know when it's that 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 PWG gear. You know when they're hitting that. And you know when they're not. I think that, I think it's safe to say there's a next gear for guys. Like there I, th- is. I think even guys that give a lot of effort. Peak effort is one thing, but like the, the old 110% thing. Like, all right, that's my peak, but I'm gonna just gonna I'm gonna lay it all out there today. I am gonna make sure that this is the the best I can possibly give you in any given moment. That doesn't mean every other time you're not doing that. It just means there's only some times that you can really dig down deep and give that you know that that I hate to use the, the cliche, but the 110% or whatever. And you you you, I think part of it is the people who the, the people who work for Wrestle Circus, the, the wrestlers, they love working for this promotion. And it's not just, you know, the rah-rah promos that they give on the shows. Just read between the lines the things they say on Twitter. And even I've spoken directly to some of the people who wrestle on these shows, and they do nothing but but brag about this place and how they're treated and how they're taken care of, first class all the way. Uh, look at the wrestlers who don't get booked at Wrestle Circus and are basically begging to get booked on Wrestle. This is a promotion to keep an eye on. I think most people are at least aware of it now. And uh, but but this this feels like it's 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 again, I I make the PWG comparison. They they go out of their way to find the best indie talent worldwide, bring them in. uh, They they put these guys together in dream matches and the wrestlers work at that next gear that you don't always see on indie shows. And and I I mean, this was a a, what a 10 match show. And I think I had five or six matches at four stars or better. And I mean, and this was. To me, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, this must be what people what it feels like when people go to PWG. In fact, I was with a friend who's been to PWG, and and when I made that comment to him, he's like, "Yeah, that's pretty much what this is like. That this feels like PWG to me." So they have something brewing there in Austin with this promotion, and um, you know the the 9.99. Believe me, there's no way you, you, you look. It's a five hour show. The show's way too long. Okay, if you want me to critique it. No indie show needs to be five hours long. I'm sorry, they just don't. Um, the opener does not need to be 15 minutes long. The three-way opener with Jervis Cottonbelly loaded with comedy, that could be a six-minute match. You know what I mean, Rich? And, right, oh, and, yeah. Absolutely. And then it's like – and you, you could have cut time from a lot of the matches. You didn't have to have ten matches. Look, five hours, I'm exhausted by the end. I'm starving to death. The fans are starting to lose some steam. Uh, it, it, it's just way too long. You got to keep these shows three, three and a half hours. I mean, I, I think that might even be pushing it. I mean, but, but you know, five hours, that's, that's one facet of that that probably needs to change. But um, in terms of the match quality, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, it may have been the best show I've ever been to. I really have to think about it. I went to all those ROH shows, you know, and those were all very similar quality, but I mean, I saw a match that will, that is a match of the year contender. I saw, uh, you know, just, just great stuff up and down the card. I mean, that Desmond Xavier, Shane Strickland, Phoenix, whatever he calls him. Is it Ray Phoenix now? I don't Ray know. Phoenix now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that three-way match. I mean, you know, people were chanting match of the year and, and, you know, crowds get a little excited when it comes to stuff like that. And, um, but, but I got to tell you, they didn't chant that for anything else in the show. And there were four or five other great matches. And by the end of that thing, you know, I turned to my friend and I said, this this was one of the best matches I've ever seen with my own eyes live in a wrestling building. I mean, it was a total spot fest. Don't get me wrong. It's not the kind of match that everybody's going to love. But if you are if, if you like a good spot fest now and then, which I do, Rich, and I know you do, um, and a lot of people listening do, I mean, this was like the best possible example of a wacky 
flips with a Z spot fest you'll ever see. They nailed everything. It was innovative. Just an incredible match. It had, bu- you know, it was in the first half of the show, and it was the buzz the rest of the night. And keep in mind, this was a show with four or five other great matches, but this match still had, you know, like you, yeah, you know, I had people coming up to me during the show, um, you know, who recognized me or whatever, or, or friends of mine, and and you know. And the first thing that everybody said to me was, wow, that, how about that three-way? I mean, so it wasn't just me. You look on Twitter, people were, were going crazy about this match. The people that were watching it on the iPay-Per-View were going crazy about this match. Uh, I, I, I mean, very good chance of finishing my top ten. Tremendous match. Um, you know, and then by the time you get to the main event, you know, Ricochet, Sammy Guevara, you've already seen four or five awesome matches. And then they get in there and tear the house down. You know, and it's just wall to wall. I mean, look, I can't recommend this show enough. There's no chance. I mean, it might take you two or three sittings to get through it, but there's no chance that you can spend nine ninety nine on the show and and uh, and and not come away feeling like you didn't get your money's worth. I mean, there, there's just no way. And I mean, we have no sponsors this week, and believe me, they didn't pay me to say any of this. Okay, <laughs> this is just this is a great show, though. I mean, it, it really was top to bottom. I, I can't say enough. They loaded it up for March. They got Matt Riddle coming in. They got Matt Hardy coming in. Uh, they got some matches already uh, set up for March, so I mean, this this Wrestle Circus is is they're going to be a big time indie player moving forward. Um, a, a, a advanced sellout. They sold out a month ahead. Six hundred seventy four fans. Uh, I can tell you that's a legit number because I was in the building. We we're packed in there. Uh, if that place would have caught on fire, we all would have died. I mean, there's no question about it. it would, none of us were getting out of there. It was just packed to 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 the gills. You could... I've been to far too many of those shows too. Uh, I won't name names, but I've been to quite a few where I and, and I have explicitly went to like or looked at my friend or whatever and been like, "Man, we're dead. <laughs> like, if anything goes here, we are absolutely dead." And one particular venue uh, that could maybe be located in LaSalle, Illinois, makes it even more worse because it's on the second floor. Um, so that one, I'm convinced if that ever went up in flames, we were all dead. So, yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, I think they need to find a new venue. I think they probably could have came close to putting a thousand people in there if it had the room uh, based on how early they sold out. And then you have people who can't get in, it, 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 who basically watch, who who watch with an obstructed view from outside through like the glass windows. So it's just the place is packed. Uh, there, actually, there's something to be said though for because uh, I've always thought that the, the same thing as well. But I think there is something to be said for for creating that demand where it, it is tough to get in. Well, again, PWG like, <clears throat> right? Exactly. That, that's that's one you can really look at. And AAW was going through a little bit of that as well um, last year when they were kind of at their peak, and it's kind of tapered off here a little bit because some guys have been picked up by, by WWE or picked up at NXT or, or whatever. So it's kind of tapered tapered off a little bit here. But they were at a point too where people were paying just to stand, you know, forty five feet away from it or stand anywhere near the arena just just to be kind of close, just to kind of see, just to kind of hear. And there's something to be said for that. Whereas if if you you always know. That anytime you show up, you're going to be able to just get a seat whenever you want. You can just pay, you know, go to the door, pay your 15 bucks, and, and you're good to go. And you, you've always argued about this of, of people blindly paying for tickets or whatever. But some for some people, if you know that that's going to be a great thing, where where I can I can guarantee you that if I give you my 25 dollars or whatever, my 20 bucks or whatever the price is, the next time I come back here next month, you are going to deliver, and you've delivered for the past year or whatever. It's worth it to do that because you know you've created that demand where. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to say, oh, my God, I missed that show. And and, and AEW had that for a while. PWG always has it. Um, and, and it sounds like Wrestle Circus is right there, too, which is, a, I think, a very good place to be at if, if you're a wrestling promotion. Yeah, ideally, you want to make more money and run bigger venues. But there is something cool about being able to kind of control the crowd a little bit and be able to say, okay, look, you better buy your tickets right away or else they're gone because – you get in the you get in the habit too, where where you know it's kind of a, a, a double edged sword there, where you have to continue to raise the bar booking wise to get people to buy tickets, 
or is it better just to let people know, hey, for the next four months, buy your tickets because we guarantee you it's going to be great. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good spot to be in, too. And PWG knows that well. And, of course, like I mentioned, AEW is another one that, that, that went through the same sort of thing. I mean, 700 paid is not a small crowd for an indie show. No, that's so, – yeah, that'll work. Yeah, um, But believe me, I mean, if the, you know, if the fire marshal would have shown up, there would be no show that night. I mean, it, it was – you know, it's packed that tight. There's no room to breathe. Um, luckily, there's good air conditioning in the building, so that's that's a plus. There's still nowhere to park, though, which is just I. I it, is that a Texas thing? Why do you guys not make any parking lots? It's in the well. This building is in the middle of downtown Austin, so you know it's just it's just a oh, okay, building yeah, on the I, corner in the middle of a city. So you're on your own. They're doing construction everywhere. I mean, I almost turned around and went home. You know how I get. I, I was frustrated. So you know, we found a parking garage and everything was all right. I don't like paying nine bucks to park, but you know, it is what it is. But uh, but yeah, the venue. Oh, I'm the, but I'm the cheap one, of course. Uh, listen, okay. I, listen. I don't like to pay to park. I just, <laughs> listen, I, I, you know me, Rich. I like a venue with a fucking parking lot. I, I give me a building with a parking lot. I don't like parking on streets. I don't like using parking garages. I don't like these cities. I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, can you par- can you parallel park? I feel like you can. No, I can. I can parallel park. But um, well, or is it bad? No, I can parallel park. I mean, okay, yeah, I can right. do it, but I don't prefer to. Who wants to parallel park? Well, nobody wants to parallel park. I just, I was just making sure that, that wasn't uh, the holdup for you. But. No, parallel parking stinks. No one wants to do it. I mean, you know, everything about driving in a city. You know why? See, cities don't want you to drive. They're trying to drive you to use mass transit. They're trying to keep traffic off of their streets. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's all part of the racket, Rich. I know how it works. But, uh, but yeah. So, you know, otherwise, it's a great experience inside the building. It's a great experience. Uh, and I'm all pumped up. And kind of speaking to your point, I couldn't get in in January. You know me. I'm going to show up at the venue and buy a ticket guy. I don't like to buy my tickets ahead of time. But I got shut out in January. And I didn't go in January because it sold out ahead of time. So this month, got my friend in town. He bought the tickets ahead of time. And we were able to get in the building. So, you know, they're going to do 700 fans every time out um, as long as they stay hot. And this is uh, definitely a new player on the, uh, on the uh, indie scene. <clears throat> was that your first time seeing uh, Desmond Xavier? It was. He's he's awesome. He's very good, and that guy is going to start. He, he's a guy to keep your uh, eye out for this this year. Uh, late last year, he started kind of making a little bit of buzz in, in AEW and across the Indies, and and I'm seeing his name a little bit more, a little bit more. And now Russell Circus should be a great opportunity for him too. He's a guy to definitely watch out for. I think he is going to have a huge year this year, and he's incredibly talented already. Still a little rougher on the edges, and and like you said, there's still kind of the yeah. the spottiness to him, but that's fine. I mean, you're going to make your name doing that, and you'll kind of grow from that. Um, as well, but no, he's a guy to definitely keep your name out for. And then Ray, uh, Phoenix, Ray Phoenix. I mean, seeing him live is an experience because that guy, how smooth that dude is. That's why I tell people like I've seen him on Lucha Underground and stuff, and I've seen him at some other things. But like seeing him live is a completely different experience because you're just amazed at how this guy, how the balance he has, the ability to just never mess up a move, to always just kind of look like he knows what he wants to do, and he's always in control of his body, and he's doing crazy shit the entire time. Which is, cr- I mean, we we kind of take for granted how hard it really is to do the things that a Phoenix does and do them smoothly like he does. You know, the other thing you see on shows like this, speaking to that point is, uh, you know, this is all, this is the cream of the crop that a company like this books or a company like PWG books, the quote unquote, super indie. Um, and, and it really is the best of the best of what's out there. I mean, you, well, we, got, we got glory pro now uh, opening up, you know, in the St. Louis area too. Elgin's promotion that, that they had a, a great looking first show too. So that could be another player in that. He uses that. a lot of his students though. And, and some, and, and some of his own guys, but um, but yeah, but the, but the point I, I was getting at is with some of these promotions that that, that just use the, the, the 
the top, the, the you know, the big name indie guys. I mean, you look at this show up and down, Zack Sabre Jr., Brian Cage, uh, ACH, Jeff Cobb, uh, Ricochet, Sammy Guevara, go right down the list, Ray Rowe, Donovan Dijak, uh, uh, Phoenix, all these guys, uh, DJZ worked the show. Um, you know, what you notice is, and all these guys are great, and all these guys are tremendous wrestlers, but even so, even when you have the cream of the crop, you still see when certain guys get in that ring, they're just a different level of worker. You, they just hit the ring and you're like, whoa, that guy is major league. And there were a couple guys who worked this show where they hit the ring and just the way that they, the ferocity of which they bump, the crispness of, of, of the way they hit their moves, the way that they sell, the way that they connect with the crowd just with their mannerisms and the way that they move. And it was surprising to me, some, there, there were a couple guys on this show whose presence and overall working ability kind of surprised me because it was next level, even above and beyond some of the huge stars that were on this show. I'll give you one, Rich, and it might surprise you too. You know who really stood out as, wow, that guy's major league, he's on another level than a lot of the guys on this show, Tama Tonga. I had never seen him live before, and I got to tell you, he just jumped off the, the – you know how I say guys jump off the screen? Sure, yeah. Well, there's no screen here, okay? You're lying. He just, <laughs> he just illuminated when he was in the – just the way – just the ferocity that he was taking his bumps and the way that he hit the ropes. It's like these little things that you don't notice when you watch guys on a, on a computer screen or your TV – but they really jump out at you when you watch guys live because there's – and look, I, I'm not saying this to put down – and look, you see this card. It's loaded. How can I put any of these people down? This is the best of the best. But Tama Tonga, he just stood out above the rest, and you're like, wow, this is what working in a major league promotion – All of these, he's been with New Japan since like 2008. You know? and, and when you've been in a great promotion like that with great workers and you're getting in there with Tanahashi and go right down the list for the last you know, seven, eight years – you see how, how he just he was like a level above. Another guy, and this one would probably be more obvious, and I know this is a guy you've seen live a million times, Ricochet was another one. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, on another he's level. just on another level. I mean, a guy like that hits the ring, and then he was the main event, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, he's in there with Sammy Gouverneur. The noise. The noise when he's in the ring is different. You know what I mean? Like, I, And I've, I've had to tell people, and there were some fans that I, that I brought, or, or friends that I brought, rather, um, that, that are kind of casual friends and whatever. And he walked up to the ring and I said, keep an eye on this guy. Just I'm not going to tell you anything, but but there you go. Just kind of be aware of him. And every single time they're done, they go, wow, that guy's just something cool about that guy. I don't know. There's something special about him. And then one of my friends brought up the noise. Like for some reason, when he was in the ring, it just seemed like when he landed, it was louder. When he bumped, it was louder. Everything that he did just seemed louder or whatever. And I never really noticed that until he said that. And then every time since then, I've, I've kind of listened for Ricochet. And I've been like, yeah, there, there is weird how he just like attacks the mat. You know what I mean? Like that's the old kind of phrase that people would use for you know for bumps or whatever yeah. where you just make the bump just sound and look better and ricochet is one of those guys and you don't necessarily get that watching an evolve you know eye pay-per-view with terrible audio or whatever being there live though it jumps off the page like you said or jumps off the you know whatever you want to say whatever your metaphor is but yeah being there live is a whole different experience for ricochet i absolutely agree you know what and that's that's exactly how tamatanga came across to me and you know, and he was in a match. He was in this wild match with 12 other guys where, you know, they were very talented people. But it's like he was the clear. You're just like you're taken aback. You're like, whoa, now this guy, this guy's got something that these other guys just do not have. And and it's it's, you know, Ricochet had that quality. And I, I think I think ACH has that quality. And then that that's not to put down your 
Donovan Dijaks of the world, who I thought, you know, looked good. And I thought he had a great match with Ray Rowe. And unfortunately, they had to follow that disgustingly good three-way. And I thought that was smart booking, putting Dijak and Rowe as the next match, because it's a completely different kind of match. They went in there and just pounded each other's faces, literally, because Ray Rowe broke his nose. But it was the perfect match to put after that wild three-way because it was a total dichotomy of what the crowd had just seen. And, you know, a guy like Dijak, who I like and I think is going to be a star, he just, you know, he doesn't he doesn't pop the way those other two guys popped and a few other guys on the show pop. And it's crazy because he's very talented, you know? And it's like we talk about it all the time too, like seeing Zack Sabre Jr. live, he has a totally different kind of charisma when he's 20 feet away from you than he does on a computer screen. I know I've heard you say that as well. It's like he just comes off completely different when you're watching him live. So those are the sorts of things that you can see when you go to shows too, that you don't necessarily see when you're watching shows on your, I don't know, on your media of choice, whether it's your video on demands or on, or even on TV. Um, anything else on Russell circus before we move on to these other topics here? No, because you have nothing to add because you didn't see it. And uh, <laughs> I looked at uh, it. says their video on demand. It says available, but then when I click on it, it says offline. So I don't know what's going on. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, though, that the live stream seemed to go very well. So oh, good. That, that's for good. the next show, if people are worried or they held off because we all know how streams are. I don't trust any of them either. Yeah, it's still. Oh, this is bullshit. It says uh, the last video that they have is uh, 114. Tough act to follow, but nothing for a uh, show. Yeah. Really? The whole, they have the, the whole 114 show up? 114, but not uh, not to, uh, not the one you went to. Right, because I didn't even know they had the 114 show up. Yeah, yeah, the 114 show is up. It's one of two videos on their on-demand service. Right well, now, I didn't so. see that show. <laughs> I cannot vouch for 114. I can only vouch for <laughs> the show I went to. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I guess I, I was confused. I thought the new show was up, but maybe they're still working on that one. But uh, I heard the commentary was awful, though. I heard the commentary was really bad. No, that'll happen. I don't know That's who they common. were. I'd love to bury them, but I, I didn't hear it, and I don't know who they were. So I don't know. That's a unfortunate common thing on the indies. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty tough to get guys that just kind of stay out of the way and just. So, you know, you know this is why I, I say, you know, everybody picks on Mauro Ranallo and Kevin Kelly and all. They blow away everybody on the indies. I mean, they just they blow them away. It's not even close. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if you feel oh, the same yeah, way, yeah. but it's like if Mauro Ranallo, that man's a professional. You know what I mean? Kevin Kelly, average as hell, blows away everyone on the indie. I mean, these indie announcers are just the shits. Uh, well, these guys don't even know. I mean, and, and there are quite a few that are good, too. I don't want to be smirching every single one Ooh. of them, but there are a... What? Ooh. Oh, there's a few. <laughs> yeah, but name one. I don't think there's any that are any. I mean, look, okay, there's some that are better than the other indie geeks, but I mean, I don't know. I watch these indie shows, and to me, they, they, they're, they're either constantly screaming... There's the pot calling the kettle black. Um, <laughs> or, or they're putting themselves over. Or they're putting over people from Twitter. Or, you know what I mean? It's like they're, 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 not, putting, they're not focused on putting the wrestlers over. They're not, they're, like you just said, they don't stay out of the way. I think the state of indie commentary is, is as dire as it gets. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just a, a hard marker. But then again, I usually am easier on the professional commentators. Everybody buries these guys. I really don't yeah. think they're that. I mean, I, listen, I hesitate to call a lot of them good. I think there is a lack of really good wrestling announcers, but I think the abuse that a lot of these guys take is, is it, it, it goes a little bit towards the side of, of overdoing it at times. Particularly. I, I always kind of give a pass to a lot of the guys in WWE as well, knowing that 
in one year they have people screaming at them while they're trying to talk. I mean, can you even imagine what, what it would be like to try to go out there on live TV, get over all this thing that's going on in this gigantic company, every character, every storyline, all the sort of things. And in one year you have just the maniacs screaming at you the entire time. Like I, I couldn't fathom it. Like there are times where, you know, we'll hear weird noises in our headphones and I can barely speak. And that's just like audible white noise I think's going on, let alone somebody yelling at me and telling me what I should be saying while I'm saying something else. Like, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I, I, I get those guys. And, it, it, you know, a guy like a McFoley or whatever couldn't handle it and just said, I'm out of here. Fuck this. I'm done. Like, I'm not doing it. So, yeah, I always give those guys a pass a little bit on WWE because I know that that's just an incredibly hard uh, job to do uh, with that. But uh, guys that I like, I, I like Lenny Leonard. I, I think he's solid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's very good. Yeah. I, yeah. Lenny Leonard's good. Um, I, I forgot what name he goes by. Tyler Vols, he, he does. He does. Um, uh, freelance. He he used to do Dreamwave. He does AEW now. Zach Braxton. He went by uh, in Dreamwave. Whatever. I think he does a very good job as as far as like a local guy. Um, that I listen to. <sighs> Unfortunately, the list is not much longer than that. There, I I have a charm, and I, I don't know what you think about this. I have a charm for the PWG crew when it's like a Chuck Taylor and and, and uh, you know Excalibur, whoever it is that does it. I, I to me, or you know, they have a roving cast of guys that kind of come in or whatever. To me, I they they I think they fit the the tenor of PWG quite well because they kind of just joke around and fuck around or whatever. But in that promotion, I like that idea of just kind of joking around and fucking around because that's kind of what the promotion is. It's just kind of a giant whack-off session. It's like three hours of just a bunch of dudes whacking each other. Off, I, so. I think they I think they stink. I think they're terrible. I think it takes away from the from the show for me. But but if they were serious, it would be much worse, though, I think. Right. Well, that, I, that was going to be the second part of my point. I don't think you're wrong, though. I think that their commentary does match – the tenor of the promotion. So it's just not commentary for me. I, I think it's bad. And I do think it PWG is the perfect example of a promotion where if I could turn off the commentary, I then I turn it off. It, I, I rather not hear those guys, but you are, you aren't wrong. It does fit the tenor of the promotion. And that is important too. I mean, if that's their vibe, it's just a fun party vibe. And, they got fun party commentators, but um, it, it's... I get why it's grating sometimes. I get for some people it, it, it's quite grating. But I think Lenny Leonard is probably the gold standard uh, in terms of the indie guys. He, he's he's quite good he and, and has been good for many years. Yeah, exactly. I I, to a, I I liked what he did with Rob Naylor a little bit, but I felt like those two just... They're, they're great wrestling minds, and I know they had a lot to say, but it just seemed like they could never really get on the same page when they were, when they were doing it. Um, together, so which kind of sucked because I Naylor was just a wealth of information, but those two just for whatever reason just didn't seem to vibe quite as well. Even though I I like both of them, but I just don't know if as a team it really worked all that well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about it now. The progress guys, I kind of tuned them out in my head, I, we, you know, so I, I don't I don't really think they're they don't add anything for me. But Jimmy Bauer, I don't um, know what happened to that guy, but he uh, he used to be a great commentator back in the classic Ring of Honor of days. But I don't know what he, he's dangerous. I don't know where he went. Dangerous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he just disappeared off the face of the earth. Might talk about a little Jimmy Bowers later, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Like the Rev Pro guys again, I I tune them out. I, I don't think they're particularly good. I look, I just don't think there's many good. You're right about Lenny Laird, though. I think he's pretty good. And look, I'm not sitting here watching tapes of of sketchy ass random indie promotions. To be fair, so there's probably a lot of guys I haven't heard. Uh, but for, you know the guys that I have heard uh, with some of these indie groups are very indie. But that, a lot of yelling. Everybody yells. Everybody Everybody yells has to, I, I yell a lot. If I yell, it means it's really important, and it, it, it's not necessary. It's the I mean, second match on the card, dude. Calm down. And, <laughs> you got to you got to get to a certain point. You got to get to because if you're ten in the second match, then you're ten in the main event is not going to seem 
that is important. Like you need to kind of save it up a little bit. So. And stop putting yourself over. That's a big problem I find. I, and putting other people over, a little inside stuff. We don't need that. You know, please do not say all hell when you're doing commentary. It's it's like <laughs> that's the way you're, you're, you're talking to like six people. You know what I mean? Like, it's just cringy. Just do your job. Be a professional, dude. The problem is they're not professionals. They're just, you know, they're either super fans or, you know, they're they're guys who tried to be wrestlers and it didn't work out or, you know, they're whatever. They they're they're guys that were they're not. They're not that's the point. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here telling these people to be professional. But they're not professionals, and it, right? And they, it comes they're to, probably getting they're probably getting a free hot dog and maybe ten bucks for or, doing or whatever. It, so. I mean, you know, it's yeah. it's like and and you know, we're probably going to get some heat for this little segment here, my friend. But I just got to be honest; I don't hear a lot of good indie comedy. If you guys think there's good indie commentary, point me to it, and I'll you know, I'll I'll tell you if they're if they're good, I'll tell you they're good. I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to some other topics here, I just want to let everybody know, uh, no big sponsors this week, but we do want to let you know voicewrestling.com slash Amazon for all your Amazon purchases. It's nice and easy. Just go to that website. It, it basically is the same Amazon page as you would go to Amazon.com, but instead, every time you make a purchase, it helps us out a little bit. We get a little bit of money back, and it helps us keep the site up and running. It helps us keep the website flowing, everybody good. And so yeah, voicewrestling.com slash Amazon, go there. Normal Amazon purchases, we get a little kickback as well. I do want to let everybody know um, we've had a, a really big groundswell of people posting reviews on iTunes. Very good reviews too, and I, we want to keep that going. So we mentioned a few weeks ago that, of course, we, we were down on iTunes. Nobody could listen from iTunes. It was a giant struggle after 70 emails between them. We finally got back up. Everything went well. And I told people, and I kind of rallied them on Twitter, of, of, hey, let iTunes know that you missed us. And I'm going to do that here on this podcast, too, for anybody that listens on iTunes, or even if you don't listen on iTunes. It's a big deal. We, we, we found out in those few weeks that we didn't have iTunes what a big deal iTunes is to our numbers, um, to our sponsors, to everything that we do on this show and on this network. iTunes is huge. It's, it's unfortunately, as we kind of called it, a necessary evil. We don't like iTunes right now. We're, we're, we're pretty mad at them. But, hey, they, uh, they're big-time podcast. I mean, I, that's a ton of people get our podcast. You, you, would you estimate it at something like 60% of our listeners uh, listen via iTunes? There was a show, the show we did um, three weeks ago. Uh, I, I looked up the numbers today, and I was just so disgusted. I mean, we were just – we were probably down, yeah, about 60% yeah. from what we usually do and, like, as high as 70% to what, like, our high – like, what our high watermark is. So it was – we lost a disgusting amount of listeners in that fiasco for over those – over a week or two, yeah. But, like, thankfully they all came back, and that's why we love all you guys. But we want more people to listen to the show, so definitely go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash iTunes. That will direct you directly to iTunes page, uh, whether you're on your phone or on the computer. And all we ask is just do a quick little review. You don't even have to write anything. You just kind of give a rating. It is better if you put a review, though. But what we found out is we kind of told people, hey, go out there, give us some reviews. And we got a bunch. And we kind of moved up some iTunes leaderboards. We got a bunch of new subscribers. We got new listeners. So we're, we're kind of the, the general idea that we're getting is, is let iTunes know that you missed us. And that's what most of the reviews said is, you know, I'm glad iTunes, you know, <laughs> finally figured out how important these guys are to me. And, and a lot of the reviews are great, too. And it lets us know what we're doing well. And it lets not just us. And we, we say that all the time. It's not just the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast podcast it's all the other things on the podcast network it's open the voice gate it's the pro cast it's burning spirits it's music of the mad it's shake them ropes all those other guys use uh the brit restaurant table other other great ones hit uh, lucha the hidden temple great podcast all around the network it gives them extra listeners too and gives them extra feedback and all that sort of stuff so go on there voicewrestling.com slash itunes give a review let them know why you missed us how much you missed us and just make sure it's a good review because come on you're gonna send out a bad review come on who would hate us that was the uh, that was like the first show that dipped under five figures, and I want that stricken from the record when people negotiate the ad rates. 
because it's going to drag the average down. I think iTunes should compensate us any lost revenue for, uh, that that show is going to cost when uh, people factor in the average. Uh, that that show really should be thrown out. You know, how, like in the Olympics, like you know, they throw out the the high score and the low score. You know what I mean? They need to throw that show out. I don't need my ad rates affected. <laughs> it's an aberration, yeah. By by that, they can leave the high one in, but but throw that low one out because that's yeah, that should not affect our ad rates. I'm very annoyed by that. Very annoyed. Me too. And that's why I'm kind of asking people if you can go on there now, voicerest.com slash iTunes, give a review, give a rating, uh, help more people listen to the show so that then we can shove it in people's face and go, hey, look, we were down those three weeks. We know why we were down those three weeks. But look at these numbers now. They're better than they ever were. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. And, and, and we're glad that everybody did stick with us through all those issues and all those problems. We No shortage of effort on our uh, on our end, try to get that that issue fixed and, and, and problem solved. But uh, we finally did. And, and we appreciate everyone's patience. So uh, Joe, where do we go this week? We have everywhere to go, but nowhere to go. <laughs> in a way, there's a lot of different things to cover, but not one specific thing. What, what, what in your mind should we cover? Let's first? quickly knock the New Japan stuff out of the way. A couple okay. of New Japan news and notes. I want your take on some of this stuff. Uh, Zack Saber Jr. is coming in to work the anniversary show. He's working Shibata. They're doing their Rev Pro Heavyweight Title match at the New Japan anniversary show. So that was a twist, right? We talked about how we thought Shibata would beat Will Ospreay. Uh, at New Beginning, because they had already set up the Zack Sabre Jr. match back in England on a Rev Pro show. Well, they're going to do that match in New Japan. Uh, so Shibata will defend the British, uh, the Rev Pro, uh, was the British heavyweight title? Is that what they call it? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Is that what they call their their world title or whatever? So he'll defend that against Zack Sabre Jr. on the uh, New Japan 45th anniversary show, and Zack Sabre Jr is going to stick with the promotion moving forward. It's going to be his home base, as the Wrestling Observer Newsletter reported. Although we do have conflicting reports, uh, we are told on uh, on Dark Twitter that he would be working as a heavyweight. Dave Meltzer is reporting that he'll be working as a junior. Uh, so we're not quite sure what's going on with that. I think maybe Dave is assuming he's going to work as a junior and, and maybe doesn't have the same information that some other people do yet. Either way, Rich... I think I know your answer, but are you excited about Zack Sabre Jr. in New Japan, or are you, and are you pumped up oh, yeah. for this Red I mean, that, that's, title match? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of my favorite wrestlers going right now, uh, and, and for a few years he's been that way too, and I, I think he's going to fit like a glove in, the, in this promotion. And, and it, it just adds to the embarrassment of riches that this, that this company has right now. Because even if he's – imagine if he's a junior. We talked about a few weeks ago of, of how good this junior division was. And then they would add a Zack Sabre Jr. Or you have him to the heavyweights. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, like a, a, just an unbelievable asset to have him come in and, and for him to be – or for it to be the home base. And it's not just a thing where we know that, hey, every so often he's going to kind of pop in here every you know six or seven months or whatever. For him to be a consistent part of this promotion, I mean, an awesome, awesome idea. And I think more than anything, it's also a good sort of connection – for American fans as well, for English-speaking fans, whether you be in the UK, whether you be in the United States or whatever, he's a guy that most people are familiar with. If you have your finger on the pulse of any sort of wrestling around uh, America or the UK or Europe or any English-speaking nation, you, you know his ex Sabre Jr., you know what he offers as well. So I think it's a nice little nugget, too, for them to bring him in ahead of uh, their international expansion. I think that is a, a great asset to have, and, and you couldn't have picked a better guy to sort of represent uh, the, the growing... Uh, UK or the growing international expansion for New Japan. So I, I'm all in on it because I love Sabre, so I, I can't wait. You know, if he wins that match and wins the title, then I tend to think that he will work heavyweight in New Japan because are they going to have one of their promotional partners' heavyweight champions work as a junior? I'm trying to think. Did they ever do that? Yeah, the optics of that are weird. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd have to Did think they do that, that with Ring of Honor? I, I don't remember. 
Um, usually the, the Ring of Honor champion, whether it was Jay Lethal or whoever else, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, they'd come in and work a heavyweight they always match. Worked. Yeah, they always worked heavyweight and, for the most and, part. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly did, you know, obviously a little bit junior here and there, but... But when he was uh, Ring of Honor champion, they were presented as heavyweight, you know... Yeah, exactly. You right, know, right. And the other thing... For, you know, that one. <laughs> one, one time, time, right. But I mean, speaking of Kyle O'Reilly, do you kind of see Zack Sabre Jr., if he does end up working heavyweight, sort of sliding in that Kyle O'Reilly role? Because Absolutely. you remember... There was a lot of talk of moving O'Reilly and Fish up to heavyweight. We didn't really get to see it play out because O'Reilly made some different career decisions. And he's going to freelance for a while. Um, it doesn't appear he has any New Japan bookings coming up. But it seemed like they really liked Kyle O'Reilly and they were going to move him up to heavyweight. So now you kind of have Zack Sabre Jr. It's almost like he's in Kyle O'Reilly's old role, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. And, and, and it's a role that I thought if O'Reilly made the decision to stick with New Japan would have been a big deal this year. Um, and, and moving forward, but you know, he obviously went other directions and went other ways of this career, which I don't, I don't begrudge him. I mean, I think it's a great move. He was, he had two really good options to go with the rest of his career and he chose, you know, the one that's a little bit more local and in and, and America or whatever, which is fine. It, it's totally okay. They did that. But yeah, Sabres, I, I think can fit in that role perfectly. And, and it was a great asset for that role as well, because Sabres just an incredible wrestler. And I think, um, we've seen him in Japan as well. We've seen that he, of course, gets over with those crowds. And, and that's another thing, too. Those crowds might be a little bit aware of him, too, if they're the hardcore fans that watch him and know him and stuff. It's not like he's coming in as complete unknown and they have to, you know, spend six months trying to educate people on who Zack Sabre Jr. is. A lot of them know who he is already, which is, is really a, a helpful thing, too, because you don't really have to, to do much kind of building. You can kind of hit the ground running with him, which I think is an important part as well. The New Japan fans... Uh, at least recent history, respond well to when the Noah guys come in. And he was a Noah yeah. guy for a long time. So, yeah, but the, the other uh, Shibata news is they seem to kick off a Shibata-Minoru-Suzuki feud on the Togi Makabe anniversary show. They had a pull-apart. Uh, Suzuki left them laying. That's got to be something that everybody's excited about. I don't know if that's just to set up a first-round New Japan Cup match. Even if that's all it is, I'm fine with that, too. It seems like they're setting up first-round New Japan Cup matches, whether it's Tanahashi and Evil, who seem to be paired off in all of these tags and going nose-to-nose. Now Shibata and Minoru Suzuki. So uh, what do you think? Are, obviously, I think I know the answer to this one as well. <laughs> are you buying or selling a Minoru Suzuki-Katsuyori-Shibata feud and or match? I am buying both. And, and Joe, I have a little bit of trivia for you. I don't know if you know this. When's the last time that those two fought in a singles match? It is probably ancient fucking history. We know it was before 2015 for sure. Um, and I'm guessing it was probably a couple years before that too. Best guess. What, what, what's your guess? 2013. Uh, you're going to have to cut a few years off there. Keep going back. Really? Mm-hmm. Is it like 2008 or something? Uh, you're going to have to cut a few more years off Holy that, Holy shit. What, when was it? 2004. I thought for sure they'd cross pads and I thought so too, but or something like that. Nope. And and this this led to a series of tweets. I was I was hoping you didn't see these series of tweets because I wanted to kind of do this on the show as well. 2004 was the last time. It was the G1 Climax 2004 for those guys. And before that, it was 2003. They've only fought two singles matches together. What, what's cool about this, and, and we mentioned it time and time again with Shibata, you know, this is we're three years running now. We've been saying the same thing with Shibata, where everybody wants this match with Shibata. Why didn't they do this with Shibata? Oh, they should do this with Shibata. Why don't they do this with Shibata? The fact that they've sort of played it cool with Shibata and, and, and very slowly moved him off this ladder has led to situations where you have a match against Suzuki that is as fresh as any match can possibly be. These guys haven't fought each other in, in, in almost 15 years. You know what I mean? 
when he faces Okada, it's yeah, they've, they've crossed paths at a few G1s here and there, but it's never been a very serious match. That's one that's saved. I mean, Shibata, now you have years of fresh matchups for Shibata because you didn't blow them in, in a year because this guy was a hot thing or whatever. You knew, hey, th- he's our property. We have to see if he's serious. Okay, he's serious. Now we can start doing some stuff with him. Now we can little by little get him in these single feuds, get him in these big moments to the point where now we're salivating over him versus Minoru Suzuki, and it's never been done. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, I, I'd say, you know, 75% of the people watching, you know, from America that listen to this podcast have never seen that match before. Suzuki versus Shibata, that's a first-time match for a lot of people, really. And, and, and how cool is that now? First-time feud between those guys. That's incredible. And, and when he faces Okada, it's going to be a first-time one. I even went back to the Tanahashi one. People forget that was 2004 there, or 2014 that that stuff was going on. The Tanahashi one. If oh, they wanted to, Tanahashi Shibata, you mean? Yeah, if they wanted to light fire under that again, they absolutely could, and it would still feel kind of fresh because they just haven't blown through everything with Shibata yet. And I think that's been important. We've been mentioning it for three years now. Just chill on this guy because little by little they're going to do it, and it's going to be so much more rewarding that they didn't give you this match seven times before this. That now you're going, oh my god, I've never seen this before. This is incredible. What can I expect? I mean, there's a whole different world now. Yeah, they they had their uh, they Tanahashi and Shibata had their deal where Tanahashi Tanahashi's book had come out around that time, and uh, there was still sort of that bitterness, whether it was worked or whether it was a shoot, probably a little bit of both over Shibata leaving the company at their low point and all that. Then they had their little feud where Tanahashi sort of worked different styles of matches against Shibata, and then they had a few tag team matches together after their little singles deal was over. And you're right, that is going back three years now, so that's fresh too. So these are all valid points. What I'm doing now is trying to see if these Shibata, Minoru, Suzuki G1 matches that are ancient history are anywhere on New Japan World. Um, it doesn't appear that they are. What year did you say? 2003 and 2004? Uh, 2004. 2004. 2004. 2003 is some weird – you're not going to find that one. Some – I Makai World 2003 tag eight thing. You're not. You gonna never know. So, they got. That's weird stuff. Maybe you can find that. But this one is G1 Climax 2004 Night Five. No, Suzuki nope, not on defeating that. Shibata. So nope. the only 2004 Shibata match on New Japan World is from the Tokyo Dome, uh, January. Let's see. Let's see who else was in this uh, G1 right now. Uh, Nishimura, Takayama, Nakamura, Blue Wolf, uh, Yoshi, Nakanishi, Tenru Chono, Tenzan. Uh, Makabe, Sasaki, and Kanemoto. That is a completely different world <laughs> at New Japan. Good that's lord. The blue, that's the Blue Wolf era. As, uh, that is the Blue Wolf era indeed, which is obviously how everybody defines Southern for uh, New Japan is the Blue Wolf era. Dylan Harris likes to call it the Blue Wolf era, um, <laughs> which is not a great era. Yeah, which is not um, good. When when that era is defined as the Blue Wolf era, you could probably uh, safely assume that that is not a great era to, to be in. Yeah, so, so that, that, you know, and uh, yeah, so a lot of fresh stuff coming down. This Minoru Suzuki, I don't know if it'll be one match or a feud. I'm okay with either one. This anniversary show is looking stacked. I mean, you've got Okada versus Tiger Mask W, wink, wink on top. You've got this, uh, you got this Shibata. <laughs> did, you see, did you see the Kotobushi quotes uh, about uh, old Tiger Mask W? I did not. Okay, here, let me let me. I'm gonna read these for you right now, Chris Charlton. Thankfully, is yeah. he denying that it's him? The way that the way that ACH <laughs> the way that ACH denies that he's Tiger of the Dark. So this is uh, Chris Charlton uh, at Reason JP uh, on Twitter. It says Kotobushi has some surprisingly detailed insights into Tiger Mask W's upcoming Okada match. Here's the quote from Kotobushi: Tiger Mask W's style is very similar to mine, so I'm interested in the match. <laughs> I'm jealous, honestly. I wanted to research how Okada has evolved for myself. I know Kenny Omega was in peak physical form and couldn't beat Okada in 46 minutes. Tiger needs to finish Okada in five. If that match goes long, he won't win, especially with a 30-minute time limit. 
It might be Hoof Tiger to change that mask, actually. It looks hard to breathe in and hard to see out of. You know, that's that's <laughs> amazing on so many levels. I love Kota Number Ibushi. one, he's doing a sports breakdown of, of the strategy that needs to be employed by Tiger Mask W. Number two, he's taking a shot at Kenny Omega, a sly little shot at Omega. I mean, there's a lot going on there. Never mind the fact that he's kayfabing the fact that it's him. I, I love that. That is just And secretly telling stuff. the New Japan office, can I have a new mask? Because I can't see out of this one and I can't breathe. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that too. <laughs> hint, hint, I cannot breathe, so can I please get a new mask? Thanks. Yeah. That is, that is, yeah, that's a tremendous quote. What a man. But, uh, but, but I mean, what a show. Uh, the, the only downside is the other news to come out of the Togi Makabe show that I, that, uh, that I wanted to run past you that I know you're going to be annoyed by. Is apparently Yoshinobu Kanemuru is no longer teaming with El Desperado. In his oh, good. title match. Well, someone else, I'm sure someone much better will be replacing him, right? Uh, no, he's teaming with Taichi, Rich. Oh. Taichi is back no. in the junior title mix. No. I think the Desperado no. injury was the worst no. thing that ever happened to all of us because no. now they've inserted Taichi back Stop. into the Why? And, what have we and, done? And, what have we and, done, And, and apparently Kanemaru and Taichi uh, cut a promo saying – Is it because of Trump? Is it because of Trump? I'm sorry. I don't, I didn't listen, vote. I don't think, it's not my fault. I don't think you can blame Trump for this one. But, uh, <sighs> but yeah, they cut a promo saying that, uh, that, that, that Takamishinoku and Desperado were beneath them and that they will be teaming together moving forward. So there's a little slotting going on among the Suzuki Gun members. <sighs> I mean, you know, it's just we cannot – you can't avoid – listen, for whatever reason, the New Japan office is in love with Taiichi. <laughs> they insist on pushing this man. I don't get it. You don't get it. Maybe it's a Western thing. I don't know what the feel. The fans don't do anything, though. It's like not like they pop huge when he's out. Listen, I'm just tossing ideas around. I don't, <laughs> I don't, don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they continually force feed a push on this guy. I don't get it. What would have been wrong with Kanemaru and Desperado getting the title shot? What would have been wrong with that? It definitely would have been a better match because now it's just going to be more Taiichi antics, Rich. That's the problem, and that's why. And and we had somebody on Twitter that that, and I don't think they directly messaged us, but I know that you responded to them, just saying, you know, why do people hate him so much? And I think it's it's a combination of two things. It's you know, one, and I mentioned this last week is. Before you could sort of tolerate Taichi, it's like, yeah, he kind of sucks, but whatever. But when he comes back now, and when we've come back from this no exodus and, and back into this company now that's so talented and up and down the card, they're adding a Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, every guy on this roster can go, basically. And you have a guy like Taichi, it's just so glaring how he's just a step below every single one of those guys that's on the roster right now. He's just, he just doesn't move with the same veracity that they do. He doesn't move with as, as, the same smoothness that they, they do. He's just, there's something weird about him. There's something herky-jerky. He just, he, doesn't have the, I, he just doesn't have it. I don't know what it even, is. But even, it's never really... Here's what you're trying to say. Even best-case scenario Taichi, who just goes in there and wrestles a match, is still be one of would be a poor wrestler on this roster, right? Which is fine if he wants to be like the shittiest guy on the roster in the undercard or whatever. Okay, whatever. You know, Yoshitatsu, you know, is gone now, so he can kind of replace that role or whatever. But then you add in that he's a fuck that it's just low blows and garbage and bullshit and and like it's just this stuff that it's so it it, it was boring three years ago and it's even more boring now and especially glaring in this company that that's evolved so much past him and past his act that it's just like you look at it it's just you groan you you can't do anything but groan and that that's the thing is that he just detracts from every match that he's in because you know a i'm not going to get great work and on top of not getting great work he's going to fuck around and hit somebody with a low blow or and, and or yeah or the, yeah exactly you know, right it's he, he doesn't have one or the other like okay so 
you look at a guy like Taka Mishinoku, and he pokes guys in the eyes and rolls them up and all that, but he's a good worker, and you know the match is going to be decent, even though he's going to use heel. Those heel antics are fine, because you know you're going to get a decent match out of Taka. Or you got a guy like Toru Yano, okay, who's going to be very antic-heavy, but his stuff is over. He's got the crowd laughing. He's got the crowd... He, he There's no question that Toru Yano... His routine is over. Whether you like it or I like it, it, it does, in the arenas, it's over. Okay, that guy is over. Taichi's antics are not over with the crowd. Like you're saying, he doesn't get reactions for this stuff. And he's not at the same level. He can't keep up with the rest of the, the roster bell to bell. So you're losing on both ends with this guy. That's the problem with Taichi. Again, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe he is over. Injured. I don't sense that at all, though. I don't think you do either. I I don't get the sense that Japanese fan that he's this mega heel drawing mega heat in Japan because he's definitely getting the wrong kind of heat from western fans. It's 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 the classic X-Pac go away heat that he gets from western fans. You see it every time he steps in the ring. So unfortunately, he'll be teaming with Kanemaru against Rapongi Vice and I think I have a chance to win. I hope that they don't. I haven't enjoyed Rapongi Vice this much since they've come together. I, I, I really I, – I've, I've, I've loved what Trent has done. And all it took, Rich, was that one little storyline they did at the end of last year. You, you give these juniors a little bit of a storyline, and all of a sudden, surprise, surprise, I'm invested. I care now. It matters to me who wins these junior tag title matches because they've given these guys a little bit of a story. And, and they gave Rocky the redemption story, and now I'm interested in that team. Isn't it crazy how that works, Rich? <laughs> right. And it didn't – how much effort did that take? It was all done on undercards, and, you know, it wasn't in your face. Just a subtle little thing, and, and all of a sudden, I'm into Rapongi Vice, and I never really was before. So, unfortunately, look, I hope they get through that match, too. I really do. I, I, the last thing we need is a title on Taichi, because that means more high-profile Taichi matches. And I really wouldn't mind Taichi if he was just a prelim guy. If ta- exactly, yeah. If, if he was just in six mans, or he was in and out of there in four minutes or whatever, and you have to worry, but he's always in these big roles, and it's like, I just don't get it. like... And this roster is brimming with great talent, and, and, and he's one of the guys that they just refuse to ever let, let go. I, I don't know. Rich, no more New Japan. Okay, we're done. I think it's time. You know what I think it's time for? I think it's time, Rich, to bounce around Japan. I'm putting the music in, by the you way. Know, just for the beginning. Damn it, yeah. Why do you have to say it? You blow the gimmick. You should just put the music in. <laughs> then we talk about the music, and we sound like a couple of geeks. Well, we are a couple of geeks. I even gave a little pause there for you to kick the music in, you know what I mean? But every time, every time we insert some audio into the show, like a couple of geeks, we have to tell everybody that we're inserting the audio in. We can't just be smooth. We're, listen, we're not nearly as smooth as the music of the Mac guys. No, they're, they're, they they talk over their music and, you know, it comes in subtly. And it, it, it comes in now, loud and it fades. fades. Well, I mean, Chris... Chris knows what he's doing with audio. I'm just a moron that has a computer. So, I mean, there's a whole big difference. So, we have, I just have a microphone. We have the subtlety of a sledgehammer. We <laughs> we always knock the WWE for, for their subtlety hammer. That's exactly Oh, and we're the, we're the worst. And that, that's why, because we know. We know better than anybody else. Yeah, so we're the masters of knowing when there's no subtlety. And we have none. I have no idea if the music is playing beneath me right now, but we're going to start off Arch. <laughs> See, you would if I didn't say it, you would have said that at some point, too. I, so. I swear to you, this time I wasn't going to do it. I left the <laughs> pause in there. I wanted it just to be smooth sailing like Ashley Remington, but no. 
But no, we always have to stomp all over it. Yeah, well, at this point, we've talked for so long that now I have to repeat the music. So let's let's go. I think so. you should run it on a loop through this entire one-hour segment. I did that once, and somebody got really upset. There was, like, a few people that got, like, DM me being very upset, and they did not like oh, it. But uh, Listen, you have to... But I think we had enough people that enjoyed it, so I feel like I'm going to People gonna do it, love so. the bouncing around the Japan gimmick. They've been begging for it. When I told people we were going to do it, they went nuts, Rich. They love the bouncing around Japan. And we're going to start with a promotion that people have been dying for us to talk about. We've wanted to talk about it, but we just haven't been able to squeeze it in. The Noah the Reborn. I got to tell you... I've been wanting to talk about this since we briefly talked about it after that 1-7 show, but I think you've finally gotten the mix here, and you've seen some of the Noah the Reborn. I saw you tweeting out some thoughts earlier today. You know, Rich, New Japan has been on... I I think New Japan is having just an extraordinary year, I think, ever since Wrestle Kingdom. uh, There's just been great match after great match coming out of New Japan. I think that uh, they've done a fantastic job. I think WWE has had a good year. I think people are overrating WWE. Look, they didn't have a good year last year. They've been okay this year, bell to bell. Most of the pay-per-views are good. Royal Rumble was an excellent show. Uh, But when you really look at it, Rich, the landscape right now, despite all these great individual matches, when you think of what the best promotions in the world have been this year, I don't think I'd hesitate to put Noah the Reborn as the second best in-ring promotion in the world this year. I know that might sound crazy to people, but every time I watch a Noah show, and I don't watch them all, I watch, I try to watch the stuff, I, I don't watch the random spot shows that have come out, but I've watched everything else, all the important stuff. From opener to main event, I, I swear to you, Rich, I don't think I've seen a Noah match that I haven't enjoyed on some level, and I can't say that about any other promotion this year. Every single match has some sort of purpose. Look, they're not all four-star classics. But every match has a purpose. Every match uh, is part of the larger story. And every match has been enjoyable on some level. Even guys like Akatoshi Saito, who I normally can't stand. Rich, every time I watch show, all the matches rule. I, I just, this might be, for me, the second best bell-to-bell promotion this year. Am I crazy? You're not crazy. And, and I think people that haven't watched it might look at it and go, oh, geez, I don't know. And, and look at the cards maybe and go, eh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess they look okay. But like, there's there's just a different vibe with Noah right now. And I, and I absolutely see it. I, I've watched a few shows here. I've cherry picked some shows uh, here and there. I watched the, the 171 that you mentioned. I watched 214 uh, just the other day. And I kind of kind of cherry picked, you know, what, what they've sort of released. And, and, and so far, my, my takeaway is exactly what you said is I. It, there is no promotion right now, maybe in the world, where I can just so easily put it on. And just leave it on, and at no point am I reaching for the mouse or reaching for the, the bar to try to fast-forward to another match and going, okay, well, this isn't doing it for me. I don't have the time. I'm going to fast-forward. I'm going to move to this. And that's, you know, on this 214, there was a Mohamed Yone Akitoshi Saito match on this, and I stayed, and I enjoyed it. And, like, there's something about knowing this. I, I don't know what they've done. It, it, it's it's hard to almost it, – it's hard to explain a little bit. But I, we're going to do our best to try to figure it out here. But it, it seems like they're just – Everything is perfect with this promotion right now. It's it's so weird to say this, and we're going to talk about the you know some aspects that maybe aren't quite perfect, which is you know attendance wise and business and all that sort of stuff. But when you look at every character, every wrestler, everybody that's you know every former unit, every former tag team, every current tag team, all this way, everybody seems to be on a path, and it seems to be a clear path of where they're going, 
what they're doing and why they're wrestling on that night. What is the reason for a Muhammad Yone versus Akatoshi Saito? What's the need for a Katogi Hirado? Why are those guys fighting? Everything makes sense. Everything is spelled out, and everything that you watch, if, if you're an invested Noah fan, or even if you're not, you go through, you know, they have these, they've been really good about the, the short little videos before every single match, kind of giving you an idea. Okay, here's why these guys are fighting a little bit. And if you don't know, you can go to our forums, voicepress.com slash forums, and people are probably talking about it or whatever. But everything is working out just perfect everybody seems to have a purpose right now and Noah, when for so long during the suzuki gun thing it seemed like there was a few guys that had a little bit of purpose it was a little bit your undercard but for the most part it was just a lot of guys just fighting each other for no damn reason and in multi-mans and six mans and all that sort of thing but this everything just seems like it fits well i mean you have uh we're gonna talk about this here in a little bit too the undercards of of using these independent town using you know freelancers using old dove pro guys or whatever has been a great asset to them because it's made the undercards feel fresh and also what you're doing is then you're not forcing a Mohamed Yone and Akatoshi Saito to have a 19-minute match like they would during the Suzuki Gun era of Noah or even before uh, Suzuki Gun came in. You know, on this 214 show, they went for eight minutes, which is the perfect length for Mohamed Yone and Akatoshi Saito match. Like, cool, it's, it's whatever. They had a battle royal after that 214. That went eight minutes. Okay, cool, in and out. Let's do this. Uh, the Katogi Harada, a match that I absolutely loved. They had five minutes of just basically chopping the fuck out of each other, which I'm going to talk about here in a moment, too. That one was 15 minutes. It felt like just the perfect length. The, the Kanoa Hara was after that. That was 15 minutes as well. It was just, everything just seemed like it was nice and quick and and, and, and well-paced and, and purposeful. And that's the exact opposite of what Noah has been for so long, where everything just seemed needlessly long and, and, and needlessly boring. And, and people just didn't have a path and no idea what they were doing. It just feels a completely different promotion now. So I think in ring, like you're like you were saying, everything in ring is is solid, and that that's good. But more than that, just the stories, the investment that you have in every character and every wrestler, just feels so much different this year. It just feels like there's a reason to watch the entire Noah show. Where before we would tell people on this show, ah, yeah, you can watch the undercard if you want, but basically just watch the you know the. Uh, We'd probably say, uh, you know, a Harada match, and then, you know, this, the, you know, there's like a few things that we'd say, on, you know, three things on the show, you know, maybe the top three matches, and then don't worry about the rest of it. You gotta watch every single thing on a Noah because it all matters, and it's not gonna just take four hours of your time. It's gonna be another hour, and you're gonna be rewarded when it's all said and done. I think that's a really important thing. What I did wanna say, though, is, is as far as um, uh, the work as well, the Katogi Harada. That match, and I believe it was Kano and O'Hara, I believe, and, and maybe you can confirm this, is there a mandate that every single Noah wrestler has to return backstage with, like, a bright red chest? Because that ent- every show is just dudes fucking killing each other and chopping the hell out of one another. I have an answer for you. The answer is yes, and I'm not... <laughs> the mandate, yes. Yeah, so I'm, like... I'm not even doing shtick. We were told that Uchida had told a friend of ours, or a friend of a friend of ours, that the new style was going to be hard-hitting wrestling that the fans can understand hurts. Yeah. And that's what he, he, he expressed to the roster, and that's how he wanted them to work. And I had mentioned that on Twitter, and actually one of the, the guys that Noah's been using, uh, Rione Fujiwara, actually responded to us and said, I can tell you firsthand that yes, <laughs> this is the new style of Noah. Because you know these guys have been told to go in there and beat the living shit out of each other. This is the closest thing to a shoot fight promotion, to like a work shoot promotion that we've seen since the heyday of work shoot promotion. I know, yeah, and it's not I know that hard out- hits still exist on the fringes. Yeah, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is this is the closest you're going to get to a work shoot promotion that, that, you know, on, on, a, on a visible level. Uh, they, I mean, they're they're out there murdering each other on these shows. right, and they're blending and they're blending like it's not just necessarily like they're out there rolling around on the ground and grappling and that sort of thing. Or nor nor is it like they're just striking one another, but they're they're using hard hits and they're using chops within the confines of a a, a 
otherwise normal pro wrestling match and it adds a whole different dynamic to it where it kind of makes you stand up and, and watch too like you said every single match there's nothing skippable because pretty much every single match has some you know four or five minutes of just incredible you know fast-paced hard-hitting work in it and it's no, no match is boring every match has something to it there's a little nugget to every single match on this entire show and 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 i think what they've done well and i think why people are finding it compelling is the you know when they change bookers or whatever, and we're still not sure who's booking this stuff, um, they sort of change gears. Rich, how many times did we see Kotoge and Harada face Kano and O'Hara over the last couple of years? And the matches were good. Yeah, we're not complaining. I mean, it was pretty good. And but eventually, after like the excellent. 30th match, but after the 30th time, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like... So this new regime comes in. The first thing they do is break up both teams. One guy goes heavyweight. One guy stays junior. And they have to earn their – the guys that have gone heavyweight have had to earn their keep when they go heavyweight. They've had to beat lower-level heavyweights. They've had to beat other juniors. Like on this show here that we're going to talk about a bit, the 221 show, each of the partners that went heavyweight defeated their former partner that stayed behind and remained junior. And that is telling the story that these guys are moving up uh, and, 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 and they're leaving their junior status behind. What they've also done is they've started to – they've elevated some guys already. And they're beginning the elevation of some others, like like uh, some of these guys that seem to just be in quicksand under Jado, whether it was uh, Hitoshi Kamano or Keito Kiyomiya, um, or or even a guy like uh, like Masa Kitamiya, who who uh, who you know Jado started to push towards the end. Uh, but, you know, but now he's he's one half of the tag team champions. Yeah, and we were screaming about that. I mean, go back to our shows a year and a half ago, two years ago. We're like, this is a guy. Like, you got to build around Get this guy. This Do guy something with this guy. Start like, moving with him. And they never did until and, the last month or whatever. And it was like, well, Jesus, what, what was this guy doing was, last year? It was year? too little too late under Jono. He, you know, to be fair, he started the, the big, the, the main event push of Nakajima. He started the push of Kitamiya. But Rich, he waited two years too late. He should have been doing that a year earlier. And the new regime has has gone full force with it. They're giving Nakajima a decent run with the GHC title. Kitamiya is now uh, one half of the tag champions and getting a look. Like he's a he's a top babyface now. Kitamiya, he's in the mix, and we're seeing guys like Hitoshi Kumano and Kato Kiyomiya who were that next level. And again, to be fair, Jado did start the Kiyomiya elevation. He gave him that uh, Minoru Suzuki feud where Suzuki would just beat the living shit out of him but it was a slight step up but again it was too late he just waited too long to push these guys and now these guys are getting legitimate real pushes and we're seeing some of the guys moving up from from the junior ranks into heavyweights that are getting real pushes and the other uh, key thing what you spoke to with the undercards they feel fresh because what the other thing that they've done is with suzuki gun moving out they've replaced suzuki gun they're giving these indie wrestlers a chance to earn a spot and some of them have a guy like High 69, Hiroki, okay? He came in, they gave him a shot, he's earned a spot. Now he's one half of the junior tag team champions. The Dove Pro guys like Yohei and Hayata, they've come in and Rich, I don't know uh, how much of the, uh, their matches that you've seen, but they've looked great. They have, yeah, yeah, no, I, I was surprised by uh, how good, because, you know, I watched the show and, I, and I, those guys are fine and I enjoy them, but I, I was kind of, you know, reserved a little bit. But they, they mentioned that 214, they went to a draw. Uh, in the opener, that match was fucking that awesome. That six I mean, man draw, that fifteen minute time limit draw, yeah. that was a great match. That was Taiji Ishimori, high sixty nine, and Rioni Fujiwara versus Hayata Yohei and Tadasuke, another guy, another indie guy. This guy's story is interesting. Okay, he was an Osaka pro guy. Okay, he got sent away on excursion to Texas to uh, to my neck of the woods to the Funaki School. Okay, that's where he was all that time. 
He worked some of the local Texas Indies. He worked in Spire Pro. I saw him work there a couple of times. This poor guy, he goes back to Japan and Osaka Pro doesn't exist anymore. Or at least not on the level that they did. I think now they run like one show a month and they draw like 75 fans or whatever. But the poor guy went home and his home promotion didn't exist anymore. So he's kind of just been floating around in the ether with nothing to do. Okay, this is the perfect kind of guy. A guy like Tadasuke who now gets an opportunity with Noah. He impresses them. And now it looks like along with your, you know, your high 69s, your Fujiwaras, your Dove Pro guys, it looks like he's in the mix now and he's a regular and he's getting steady work and he's a guy who's a very good worker. He lacks a little bit in the charisma department. He doesn't have great presence. He certainly doesn't have the charisma or the presence of a Yohei or Hayata or guys like that, but he can certainly hang work-wise. And what they've done is they've tried out indie guys that are sort of, you know, uh, working on the fringes in Japan with these smaller promotions and the best ones are sticking and and it has rejuvenated the undercards to where everything feels fresh and you could it, it, and you could name anybody on this roster and you could immediately and I can immediately tell you what's going on with them story wise you know and and that's important too everyone has a purpose every match seemingly has a purpose and just rich you know you look at their champions right now their current champions nakajima is the heavyweight champion Hajime Ohara finally getting a, a fair shot with the with the with the with the junior title, the junior tag team champions Taiji Ishimori and High 69, and then the the heavyweight tag team champions are Masa Kitamiya and Kano Kano who moved up. Rich, that just all sounds fresh compared to the last two years. I mean, you look at the last two years and it was always easy, you know a Suzuki Gun guy was heavyweight champ, and one of those two junior teams we talked about earlier just traded the titles back and forth, and it was always just the same names and it was it but now they've got new people in the mix everything feels fresh everything feels like it has a purpose and i'm telling you if you haven't watched any noah this year hard hitting and that's not even the word these guys are brutalizing each other and yeah, brutal is a good word it, it, a fun brutal though it, it, it's it's such good fun watching them and i think one of the other things too is no interference <laughs> you know right. we were screaming about it of just like the crutch of having suzuki gun and it permeated up and down the card too and that was an issue as well as when you had a Suzuki Gun member for every single part of the card. When you had a junior one, when you had a junior tag, you know Suzuki Gun. When you had a heavyweight tag Suzuki Gun, and then a main event Suzuki Gun, it felt like up and down the card. Every match was like, oh, here we go. Okay, the interference. Oh, that's gone, gone, completely gone. And that's that's important. We saw, you know, uh, many promotions could kind of resurrect themselves by saying, let's get rid of this bullshit and let's just get down to business here. Let's just have these matches and present these guys as, as things. And and for you and I and, and a lot of people that listen to the show too. That's what we want out of wrestling. We don't want the bullshit interference. We don't want that sort of stuff. It can be used and it can be utilized, you know, if done well. But it was so overdone for so long in, in Noah that it just killed the enjoyment for a lot of people of that promotion. Yeah, and you know, it's it's definitely connecting. You know, there, there's a definite buzz with Noah right now among Western fans. The problem is, business keeps plummeting. It's it's it it's fallen into a deeper hole than even it was at the depths of the Suzuki Gun era. But here's what I'm going to say about that. I'm going to say the same thing I said two plus years ago when they tore it apart and restarted with the Suzuki gun angle, which, if you remember, started off hot and improved business briefly until they ran it into the ground. I'm going to make the same basic point I made when they started over two years ago. This is okay because the analogy I'm going to make is, is, okay, you ever just, you know, people talk about spring clean. You decide you're going to clean your house. Do a little spring cleaning, right? You know, you've been in the house all winter. Your house is kind of kind of a mess. It's uh, March 13th. The weather's good. You got your windows open. You're like, I got to clean this house. 
It smells in here. It's a little messy. We're gonna clean. When you clean your house, or you clean your room, or you clean your car, or you clean anything really, sometimes you have to make a bigger mess in order to clean something. You've got to move everything to the middle of the room. You've got to move furniture around. You've got to sweep up a big pile in the middle. You've got to move things around if you're reorganizing. And you, you kind of got to make a bigger mess before you can clean. And that's kind of what they're doing here. They're tearing this down. They're starting over. They're making a lot of changes. They're, in, they're moving guys up from junior to heavyweight. They're introducing new personalities. You got a new GHC heavyweight champion who was always presented as a mid-carder. It's okay. They're tearing things down. They're making a bigger mess in order to clean up the mess that they inherited. And I believe you have to give it time. I'm not reading into this attendance at all. Because you, you got you to get these personalities over. You got to get these new directions over. People have to get used to what you're doing here. I didn't think it was going to turn. They, look, they've only recently made these changes. We're only talking about two or three months since they've made all these changes. Okay, the new ownership came in. They gave the Suzuki gun time, uh, uh, thing, you know, a couple months to, to finish up those storylines. And this new direction has only really been since November or December. I think December, actually. That January really is when that January 7th show is when it was really obvious that changes were taking place. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it, it doesn't I, I wouldn't even look at attendance right now. I wouldn't worry about it. I would look at the attendance when they when they do their great voyage show, when they do their bigger shows. I would take a look at that to see where the progress is. I'm not going to hyper focus on these Corkins. I'm not going to hyper focus on the fact that this 214 show drew what less than 300 fans in the Goya. OK, I'm not going to look at that because it, it's going to take some time. And after six months, after a year, then I think we could really examine the attendance and see if this new direction's working, see if the people they're pushing are catching on with fans. But I, I do think they deserve a bit of a grace period to install what they're installing here and to and to see their direction through. I think that's fair as well. And and there's always going to be an issue. You said the spring cleaning metaphor is probably the best one that you can come up with where it's going to get a little messy here and it's going to look weird because all of a sudden for, for casual fans, it's like, hey, a bunch of these guys, a bunch of these stars or whatever, you know, quote unquote stars, you know, Minoru Suzuki and those guys are, are, you know, considered stars or whatever. Those guys are all gone. And now you're trying to rebuild a whole different atmosphere, a whole different, you, you know, you got everybody standing out. It just feels different. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans that said, ah, you know, I'm kind of done now after the Suzuki gun thing. I'll maybe I'll come back if it gets exciting again, you know, for you and I and for the hardcore fans or whatever it's very fun and we know that it's good but from some casual fans it might seem the optics might seem like hey you know this is a promotion that's a, that's on the downswing or whatever after the suzuki thing so it's going to take a little while to for people to kind of build it back up we saw it with all japan all japan had to hit literal rock bottom before they could just slowly but surely move their way up and and now they're doing quite well and 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 i think noah in in some time will do well but it, it's going to take a little while to do it. it'll take some adjustment it'll take some you know differing budgets and that sort of thing but eventually i think that they're going to do it because they're just the product right now is so good that i think at some point people are going to do it and and noah still has a cachet to it and there's still this idea that that when a big show happens or or when noah builds up a guy or when noah builds up a a, a big type show or a big type main event or whatever people are going to come out and they're going to watch it but it, it might just take a little while because they did a lot of damage over the last and it's not just the suzuki gun too i think everybody thinks that the promotion was doing great and then suzuki gun came in and then oh they ruined it all that promotion was near rock bottom before those guys came in that's why they came in yeah, and, 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 and again if you just look there's a lot of uh rewritten history on that that angle sure. worked in the beginning it just was when the fan it just lasted two years too when late the, when the fans <laughs> realized it was going to be recycled over and over 
that's when it plummeted. When when fans were like, "Well, fuck this shit." When it, you know it, they were excited. Well, it wasn't an invasion anymore because when it first started, you know they wouldn't have merch tables. It was like this invading unit from New Japan coming into Noah, and and that's cool. But then eventually, you know, somewhere like the NWO, when it's like, "Oh, all right, you guys are just here forever," then all right, well, whatever. And people got bored of it when they just had merch when they were just a normal roster unit. It was like, well, it's not very fun then. Not the same, especially when when they were dominating up and down the card too. It so was just I get it. It was the same story yeah. over and over. And, but I think uh, we we do forget too, and I think the revisionist history again is that the business was you know pretty good. And Suzuki Gun came in, killed it all, and now it's left to the scraps or whatever. There, there I mean, was it was a, scraps before. There was that. a reason Suzuki. There was a reason <laughs> exactly. Bushi Road was right. brought in. It was because they were about to die, and they needed Bushi Road's funding, and and. And and again, Bushi Road because they were funding the place. They had carte blanche on the booking, and they they sent Suzuki Gun there. You know, we're not going to repeat all the history, but again, you make a good point. There's this thing where people think Noah was thriving, but it was not. It was doing very poorly. But now, how pathetic some of those shows were. I mean, they were running like gyms with 200 people, and they were running big arena. I mean, not arenas or whatever, but big like huge gyms and all that sort of thing. And they looked pathetic because there was you know 200 people there. The, 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 great, and, the great Voyage shows did okay with Nagata yeah. Champion and things like that, but it was you know certainly a step down from where they were previous. Now, after that little mini, you know four-month bump that Suzuki Gun gave him, it plummeted even further, and now it has plummeted even further than that. But I think you made a good point with the All Japan analogy, because the, we saw the same thing happen when Jun Akiyama took over All Japan. Goshiozaki left, Akibono left, Yoshinobu Kanemuru left. They lost a lot of talent, and there's a lot of similarities in that. He started using the local indie talent in the various towns they were running, whether it was the uh, guys in Okinawa or wherever, whatever town they were in, Osaka, the local Osaka guys. I don't even know if they run Okinawa, to be honest. Uh, you know, but but you know, and and they rebuilt. So they brought in a thousand different fucking black tigers and tigers. And okay, so the under, it got ugly for a while, and it actually got worse at first under Akiya. But what has happened, Rich? He's slowly gotten people over. A brand new champion with with uh, with um, with Miyahara, just very similar to Noah brand new champion with Nakajima. They picked the right guy. Miyahara was the right guy, which we screamed about for a year. They need to put, and they picked the right, just like we screamed about Nakajima, and they picked the right, there's a lot of parallels. Miyahara and Nakajima trained together under the same train. They hate each other's guts, but they trained together. I mean, Nakajima had a hand in Miyahara's train. There's a lot of parallels here. So I, that's why I think Noah deserve. They, listen, they deserve a bit of a grace period to totally hit rock bottom. And you really don't need to look any further than the last year and a half or two years of All Japan. I thought that was a good point to bring up. Yeah, and it's never going to happen overnight, too. I think people get this idea that it's like, oh, it's good, okay. I mean, think about anything that you watch or you consume or whatever. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, overnight you go, oh, everything's better. Okay, now I'm going to invest in them and, and, and buy tickets to every single show and all that sort of thing. It takes time. It takes a little bit of buildup, especially when you've been burnt, because Noah had a lot of fans and burnt most of those fans. Look, and Kento, Miyahara, and Zeus and people like that, they just weren't over. It takes time to get people over. Now those right. guys have gotten over, and you see businesses starting to improve a little bit. It's going to be the same thing here. I just ran down those champions, and I did it for a reason. They're all fresh, they're all new, but look, it's going to take time for fans to latch themselves on the Nakajima or Kitamiya or Kanoa as a heavyweight or who the hell is this high 69 guy. It's going to take fans, and look, it may not work. Maybe Nakajima doesn't catch on the way Miyahara has, and let's not pretend all Japan is on blazing fire either. I mean, they've improved their business, and they're, they're far more stable than they were, but maybe Nakajima doesn't even catch on to that level. Maybe Kitamiya doesn't catch Look, it may not work, but I think we need we need to wait six months, eight months, ten months, a year to see if these pushes have taken hold, 
if they stick with this direction or if they do change course and go with somebody else, uh, if someone else gets, you know, we, we we need more hindsight than we have now. We can't sit here and say, all right, they did 650 people for Cork and Hall. This obviously isn't working. They need to try something else. They got to get the belt off of Nakajima. They got to, no, it's, it's way too early for any of that. And I'm not suggesting anyone saying that. But I've seen some rumblings of people, you know, saying, that, yeah, but look, you got to give it. I really think they deserve more time than this. Absolutely. Anything else on Noah? Uh, no, I think that we can talk about the uh, their uh, their next big show. When, uh, actually, when is that coming up? That is coming up on... Pretty quickly, I thought. Yeah, sorry, oh, I don't have it in front I of me I had here, day but... two. I don't have it either. Very prepared here for this show, <laughs> but uh, you know we'll we'll take a look at that show when the time comes. But uh, we're bouncing around Japan, Rich, so we have to continue bouncing, and we're going to bounce to a promotion that we sort of just talked about. And that was All Japan. I think what's interesting here is they announced the Carnival Blocks, and that starts in April. Uh, so we're not going to sit here and do a full preview of the of Champion Carnival. I mean, it doesn't even start till April sixteenth. Uh, Great Voyage is the twelfth. If that's the one you're talking about, Great Village in Yokohama. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so again, 12. So we got plenty of time. That's what I meant. Yeah. So we'll get to that uh, when the when when it's uh, when the time is right. Um, actually, there'll probably be 19 WWE pay per views to talk about that week. We'll get to it. <laughs> but we'll make sure to do it because we'll try. This, is, this is fun that we're not talking about WWE. But, but I mean, we didn't even mention. I mean, you know, for, for that show, that's when they're bringing in the TNA names and uh, Eddie Edwards, Moose, and James Storm. Uh, were the three that were announced. So they're supplying. And also, uh, you know, we've got Muto in the mix too now too. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And that that fourteen show, he he appeared and, and is going to be doing some stuff with them too. So that's that's cool. Yeah, so, they're you know, and, and, uh, they're making all the right moves. I'm not moves. against I mean, that, any of that. I mean, no, no, no. I see a lot of people are against that sort of things. So like, no, nah, just stick with the indie guys. But here's the thing: you can. Why can't you do both? You know what I mean? You can you can get these new indie guys in the mix and elevate them slowly and and and, and see if those guys stick. And you can supplement that with a big name like Muto. You can supplement that by teaming up with with the rebranded TNA and bringing in talented workers. I'm not going to complain about Eddie Edwards and Moose coming to, to, to Noah to work some matches. They're going to do a nice job. Why would you complain about that? You know, and if they can put on good performances and they can get a little bit of attention in the newspapers, you know, I, look, I think you can do both. I have no problem with them teaming up with Wrestle One, TNA, whoever. To try to help, you know, kickstart things here. I really have no issue with it. I, I, I and the other thing too, and a guy like a Mudo, which I'm sure some people are groaning at and looking at. But again, we're talking about a business or and a company that's trying to grow their business and 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 get eyeballs on the product. Sometimes you got to bring those guys in. It's not like if Mudo goes in and wins their world title, or if Eddie Edwards, you know, wins the the junior title and Moose wins, then yeah, okay, then we can talk about it. But if these guys are just coming on here to draw some attention to it, Mudo's not going to win the title. Mudo's not going to take over the company. You know what I mean? Like he's just going to be there to to get some people to go. Oh, Mudo will be on the show. That's cool. Let me watch it. And then the goal is hopefully that you watch the new Noah and go, oh, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Maybe I'm going to stick around a little bit. That's all this is. That's all they're doing. And and, and it's a smart idea. And we talked about the the indie guys too. That's a great idea, too, because you can supplement your, your undercard and, and fill out your undercard with guys that aren't very expensive, with guys that are, that feel fresh, that feel different, and guys that are motivated, too, because that's the other thing as well. These guys want to go out there and kill it because this is a big moment for them, and it's a it's a big stage for them. So you're getting good efforts out of your undercards, where during a lot of the Suzuki Gun era and even before that, your guys weren't really putting full effort in because 
you know who the hell cares like whatever it, it, you know just meaningless undercards at this point so so just there i think everything they're doing is, is great right now and I, i'm really all in on it and, and i have no problem with with tna guys coming in or mudo coming in or wherever you need to come in to kind of pop some some, some numbers here and there provided those guys don't of course win titles and become the main eventers or whatever but that's, that's not, not i don't not, see that happen that's obviously no it's obviously not what they're doing, you see uchida so. has connections to muto going way back and wrestle one isn't exactly super healthy so if something happens with wrestle one you might see another influx of talent from there too but that's really that's hardcore speculation and really looking down the line but uh because wrestle one i mean they're just you know did you even they have you want to talk about less than zero buzz oh boy it's, yeah rest they're on a weird and they've cut and their, their schedule down makes, and they're yeah, yeah. it's just they're, they're a mess well, thank God. Remember there was that while there, like maybe two years ago, where they were just on, like, every time you looked at the, the drive or, or the YouTube or wherever the hell they were at, they just had a new show. And you're like, how could they have so many damn shows? Like, there was a while there where they had a show, like, every week. And, and you're like, I'm, I'm done. I don't need you guys they anymore. They were making I'm done. TV a lot. I mean, they're not, they're just not running the same schedule that they were. I mean, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's, a lot of people say the only reason they exist is, is for the, the, the training school. So, you know, who knows? Because so, they're not doing any business. Uh, All Japan Carnival starts April 16th. And what really jumped out here is Junakiyama was not part of either block. Um, he has pulled himself. He says he will no longer take part in champion carnivals. And he has he will never take part in another, in another uh, triple crown match either. So the 47-year-old Akiyama has basically pulled himself from the relevant main event scene in All Japan. Um, look, this is a gutsy move, but I think he feels like it's the right time because the company has some positive momentum going. And I guess he feels that his presence in these title matches or in these champion carnivals can only serve as a distraction or he could only eat a spot that he could use for somebody else that he can help get over. The other thing here, too, is let's not forget that his last Triple Crown challenge against Miyahara at the old Hakata Star Lanes, Rich, in the bowling alley, only drew about 600 fans. So it's not as if, you know, Junakiyama was packing Budokan Hall these days, okay? So let's not overstate things. But I do think it's interesting that he has pulled himself basically from anything important that's going to go on in his country. Look, he's going to have his little tag team matches with Kendo Kashin, and, you know, he's, he's yeah, he'll, be a, he'll have a presence, but he's basically pulled himself from main event. That's, what do you think of that decision? I think it's a pretty good one. I think it's a good idea as well because I think he he realizes that the the goal now with with all Japan you know as you said getting back on the you know on the, on the right path or whatever is not necessarily him being the star or whatever and, and like you said he's also he wasn't really drawing incredible numbers too but people still respect him and, and know him as as you know a, a big deal and, and kind of the leader of that company now's the time now that you've kind of gotten out of the the, the muck I'd say they're out of the muck which is that safe to say they're, they're no longer in where they were they're far even they if they're not far more stable than they were but they, they're not exactly yeah I mean, they're, they're not world beaters, but they're out of the muck. I mean, they're, they're, they're comfortable now. They're more comfortable than they've been in quite a while. They're to the uh, point where if they do under 1,100 or so in Cork, and you're a little surprised. Right, right. Well, to the, the point, too, where, where Akiyama doesn't need to prop this thing up now and can look at these other guys and go, okay, here, this is a guy you should focus on. Here's this guy coming in. Here's these young guys. Here's the. I mean, there's a lot of guys in that roster that now they can kind of give a little bit more of a featured role to. And I, I think it's good. I think it's to make it a public announcement as well. I think is a good idea too because you let people know, hey, look, these guys now pay attention to these guys. Pay attention to a lot of the guys in this roster because I'm no longer going to be the crutch. I'm no longer going to be the safety blanket here. These are my guys. Like these are the guys now to focus on, and that's cool. Especially ahead of the champion carnival, which does such a good job of, of building up future title defenses and, and building up, uh, you, you know, 
future title challenges as well and guys that that can be a big deal for the the, the remainder of the year and for you know the hit the future of of all japan so i i like the idea i like making it public and i think it's a good move by akiyama to kind of step away and go okay look i'm not i'm not going to be the security blanket anymore i want you guys to realize that the rest of this roster is what's going to lead us through the next generation or whatever which which is is a smart idea and, and there's a lot of good talent on this roster right now too especially with uh, Joe Doring coming back and, and looking healthy and, and a few other guys as well so I, I'm on board with it I think it's a good idea the Joe Doring story is just a great one I mean this guy had a brain tumor I really feared that he was and it wasn't that I thought he was going to die but I just never expected him to get back in the I, ring or be no, able to forget it I thought he worked his last match and Rich I mean you know by all intent he could have died I mean you know that's a serious right. issue he had that's amazing to me that not only is he alive and, and, and he has his life, but he's back in a wrestling ring. I mean, it's crazy. to This is yeah, a I just very underreported if, story. It's a great story. It really is. Yeah, because I thought even if we, even if Joe Doring survived or whatever, which it seems more of it that we're having this conversation, but he's okay. But even if he, he was able to make it through this issue, was a horrible, horrible issue as well, that they would bring him out and it would be like, oh, here's Joe Doring and he's, you know, 180 pounds and... You know, not like he's he's decrepit looking, but like not the bulky big monster guy or whatever. Like like we expect Joe Doring to do. He comes out and he looks like he hasn't missed anything. It's like he hasn't missed a beat. Like, hey, how's it going, guys? Been gone for a little while. I'm back now. And it's like, dude, you had like major cancer and like you're fine and you look normal. He has the same bolt. Like he just looks like he took a little bit of a break, which is insane given what he actually was doing. Did this time. man have his skull? cut open i mean he had yes. a brain tumor. I mean, this is <laughs> right. incredible to me i think this he is a brain tumor and it's like didn't lose story. any weight it's just still has bulk still has aggressiveness can still go still has athleticism like dude like if you, some guys tear their acl and they don't come back ever yeah. again this guy had a brain tumor and is like barely skipped a beat barely missed a beat it's, it's incredible it really it really is i mean just this uh, an amazing story and um, he's in the A block, and I'm, I'm going to read off these blocks because I have a lot to say about this champion carnival, uh, even without Junakiyama. The A block is Kento Miyahara, uh, Daisuke Sekimoto, and those two guys had two great matches last year, one that finished in my top ten. Zeus, Joe Doring, Jake Lee, Ryoji Sai, and Kai. The B block is Suwama, Takeo Omori, Neo Nomura, Suji Ishikawa, Kengo Mishimo, Bodyguard, and Daishi Hashimoto. Rich, first of all, even without Junakiyama, if this were, if every show of these, of this carnival aired the way that all the G1 shows air, and they were in arenas that actually had lots of fans in them and were, and were, and were, and were hot crowds and those sorts of things, these are, this is an incredible lineup. I, I think that I'm hoping that most, if not all of it, airs. I don't think that it will. Uh, hopefully it will. I hope that even when they run some of the smaller, you know, sort of embarrassing venues, the basketball hoop venues or whatnot, that the crowds are hot, even if there's only 200 people there. Because this tournament really has the potential to be really fucking awesome. Look at these blocks. I mean, to me, this is incredible. I mean, you just look at the A block. You know, when you got Miyahara, Sekimoto, uh, Doring, Zeus, Jake Lee. I mean, you know, that's that's five of the guys in this block. And I'm assuming Doring will at least be, you know, 80% of what he was. You know, and, and Sai and Kai aren't terrible. And they certainly can be, can be ta- you know, taken up to a, a different level with those other five guys. That's an incredible block. That's as, that's as good as a good G1 block. I mean, that's really, you know, in the beat block, you know, Suwama. Okay, people have different opinions on him. I like him. Uh, Takeo Omori. Omori always brings it, even though he looks like he's about 60 years old. He always, he still brings it to this day. 
Uh, and then you got the young guy with Nomura, Shuji Ishikawa, who a lot of people thought was the best wrestler in the world last year, Kengo Mishimo, who people love. Okay, bodyguard is nothing special. And then Daishi, uh, you know, Daishi Hashimoto, who was a sneaky entrant here. Another very good block, probably only a smidge below the A block, and there's probably people who prefer the B block. I don't know about you, Rich. I'm fired up for this. I think this could be an awesome tournament, and they're going to cram it all into 14 days. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, too. It, it, it starts on, uh, I have the date in front of me here, uh, April 16th, and it ends on the 30th. So, like, this is going to be a whirlwind pace here, which is cool. And that's always one of the great things about the Champion Carnival is that it doesn't get long in the tooth. But I'm right with you. I mean, I, I have a tough time looking at those two blocks and figuring out which one I like more. I think I like the B block more, but man, every time I say that, then I look at the A block, I'm like, oh man, like, and that's good. When you can do that, when you can look at both blocks and, and not be able to definitively say which one is better, you know you've done well because they, they have the perfect balance of like guys that are awesome. And then you have your few guys here and there that aren't, aren't great, but everybody in this tournament, I think you can even say to even like a bodyguard or whatever who I don't love and even a Suwama who I'm kind of on the fence with, pretty much every guy has some level of, uh, of, you know what I mean? Like, there's nobody that's a complete dud. They can all fit their role perfectly. Exactly. I mean, look, the, the bodyguard's kind of a bum. He, bodyguard Suwama's going to be not a very good match. That's probably the only one that I could look at and go, yeah, that match probably won't be very good. But, yeah, body, but he has presence, Bodyguard. And, and right, he's a guy yeah, that the fans will be behind. Juice to his fucking gills. That guy, man. Yeah, I, and I mean, and it looks like, like you, you're not a huge Suwama guy. I am... Very disappointed with Daishi Hashimoto. I think that his career has not gone well. I'm not a huge fan of his. I think he mails it in a lot. I think he's disappointing a lot of the time. He's a guy that I think should be better. I loved him when he was a rookie. I, 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 I he just he hasn't progressed. Um, I think that's the more workmanlike block. The other block I think has the potential to peak higher when you've got guys like Miyahara and Sekimoto. Uh, during again, we don't know if he, you know, I, I, look, we could easily forgive him if, 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 like I said, he's 75 or 80 percent of what he was. Zeus is probably going to win the damn thing, right? I mean, it sure looks that way. Um, or at least he's going to beat Miyahara at some point in this, whether it's in a well, it can't be in the final, but I guess during block play, I would think that that's a lock. I mean, he's probably going to win that match, right? I mean, it seems like they're moving towards a Zeus Miyahara match. Um, yeah. And Jake Lee is a guy who's always impressive. I, look, see, the difference between All Japan and Noah right now is they both have their guys, but Miyahara is way ahead of Nakajima. And I think All Japan has the, the the next guy that they can elevate and who has the potential to be a big star in Jake Lee. And I don't know that Noah has that guy yet. I don't know if Masa Kitamiya has, the, has a ceiling of megastar. I like him, but do you see him at that level? I I don't think that I do. I could see things if they break right for Jake Lee for him for him to be a breakout star. Um, so I, I think they sort of have maybe their their generational rival for Miyahara lying in the wings with Jake Lee. I'm more intrigued by the A block. I think it'll peak higher. There's more people in the A block I'm interested in. I think the B block is more workmanlike. The only problem I have with the A block, of course, is Kai. Because I can't stand Kai. I just don't like the guy. I don't care what anybody says. He's a fucking geek. I can't stand him. He's going to come out there. Hopefully. Now, here's the thing. If he's wrestling tights Kai with, like, his Kento Miyahara look, I like that Kai a lot better than jeans wearing, uh, um, uh, what's that maneuver? The, the, the shit that he does. The uh, 
the fucking jumping jack. If, it, the if, jumping, it, yeah, if yeah, it's that. jumping jacks, Kai, I have no fucking interest. <laughs> he's a geek. I don't like him on my screen. He, you know, but if he's if he's if he's just you know, uh, 2011 wrestler, Kai, I have no. I, uh, yeah, just get down to business, Kai. Don't, don't do the wrestle, jumping jack. Get to the get to the jacks. fucking ring, Kai. Let's don't go. Be Let's a fucking <laughs> geek. Don't be wrestle one geek, Kai. I don't want that. I do not want. <laughs> I can live with the other Kai. But yeah, I, I think I prefer the A block just because I think it could peak higher. I'm real intrigued with Jake Lee and how they book him here. And of course, we're going to get at least one more Miyahara Sakamoto match. And I mean, those were great last year. Uh, so yeah, I think I give the slight edge to the A block. I have no qualms if you prefer the B block, but a lot of it is where you stand with guys like Suwama and Hashimoto. Yeah. I mean, Ishikawa there is a good guy. And, and Mishima, too. I, I could see a certain segment of fans really loving that B-block, like, a lot. Because, I mean, there's a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, the, the pet favorites there. You got Hashimoto, everybody. There's a lot of people that love him. Uh, Mishima, a lot of guys love. But Ishikawa, universally, people love him. And, and, and rightfully so. The guy's fucking awesome. He's incredible. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, they, if you put Ishikawa in the A-block, that would might be the, the greatest block of, like, but, you know, it, it's fine. It, it, it's got a nice balance to it where I feel like you're going to get something decent on every single... These are um, deep blocks, man. They're, they are. They really are. I mean, I'm going through the matchups kind of in my head right now, and yeah, there's find a lot. Me, of good okay, stuff. find me the worst match in this tournament. Uh, bodyguard versus Swan is what I said was the worst. Let me take a look here. Kai Zeus. Well, I like Zeus though, so I'm not going to say that. Zeus is all right. Here's the thing with this Zeus. is fine. I, I, bodyguard Swama, I think, is my least favorite match of the entire. Maybe a bodyguard Hashimoto match because I'm not a big Hashimoto guy either. either I know am people I. Either very either upset. I by think. That, but, uh, I think that would be mine. Hashimoto bodyguard, but I. I still hold out hope that Hashimoto can make something of his career. I mean, how about going to the gym once or twice? I mean, that, well, would, that yeah. would be I was going to say, maybe Bodyguard will whip him into shape in I, that match. I, <laughs> Show he, him what steroids He are looks stuff. like shit. I mean, I just feel like there's it's a lack of effort sometimes with him. And, and there's a- He looks, and, and we're not body guys on the show, but he looks like absolute garbage. He looks like. I'm not a fan. He's got dad body. He's 24 years old, man. Like, what do you I'm doing? not a fan of his look, and I'm just, I feel like. There's times where I love his effort, and there's other times where I'm so love-hate with him. He's a lot like Hideki uh, Suzuki with me, and, and, and who I'm more loved than hate these days. Um, but I feel like Hashimoto is a guy who just really – it depends on his motivation, and I just I, he just hasn't reached what I thought he – maybe he's just – maybe I'm just more of like a disappointed – because I thought he was going to be more. Maybe that's – maybe this just is what he is. I don't know. But yeah, I'd probably say Hashimoto Bodyguard is my least favorite match in the tournament, and that, assuming that we get the right Kai. Because at a block, I mean, I really don't see a weakness. When you can make the argument that maybe Zeus is the worst worker in the block, and he's not bad, but again, he has great presence and he's over, I really think he's going to win the tournament. I know it's a little early to project it out. we got a lot of time to talk about it. And I really wanted to just focus on Akiyama here, but... Um, I, you know, bodyguards getting the next title shot. We know that's just a place filler sort of thing, and probably is just a warm up. I mean, there's some people making an argument that bodyguard could win the title. Rich, I don't see that at all. Do you? Just... <laughs> no, I, yeah. Because I think the idea being the matches in Osaka, and remember he's the old Osaka pro guy, and they could use that to pop a house. And it's like, are, really, are people really going to buy tickets to, in mass to see bodyguard? I'm not buying. <laughs> he could be. He could be on the show and wave to the crowd. I'm sure, but I, I don't. Look, know I don't think it's a bad there. idea to headline in Osaka with bodyguard or something but, but there's no ways that would be a horrible move if he wins the title from Miyahara I think that just screams to me 
Miyohara is going to put away Zeus's tag team partner, and then Zeus hops in the ring, and, you know, it becomes the next guy. I I think Zeus is winning the tournament. What do you think? Or you don't want to go um, yet? You want to take a close game? Yeah, it'd take a little bit of time, but I think Zeus looks like a, a, a potential... Uh, a definite winner. It's hard to tell with all Japan, though. They they do good jobs of kind of throwing some curveballs here and there, which which I love about them too. Is, is anybody seems on the table too, and that that's one of the fun things about this tournament um, as well, and about this reign of Miyahara because he's kind of blown through everybody. That now, and, and we talked about this a few months ago, is is there was two strategies to do that. You could either have him lose, and that's how he kind of chases again, or you could have him blow through everybody, and then everybody kind of starts anew. It's like all right, well now anybody can kind of get up there and challenge it because he he's shown that he's you know tops among the entire company. But now just random dudes can go up there and maybe move up and maybe they get lucky and they're the one who ends up winning. So you have a situation where it's not completely impossible that a bodyguard wins or whatever. And that's how people are bringing it up. It's not impossible that a Joe Doran, you know what I mean? Like that that's kind of a cool thing that they've done with this promotion in booking Miyahara so strong is that now you have that ability where anybody that you pick seems like a plausible champion because he's just beaten everybody. So there's no, you know, there's no barrier of entry for anybody really. Well, there's a few guys I think who absolutely cannot win. And we could eliminate them right off the bat. Sekimoto cannot win. He's not going to win again. Um, I don't think... Jake Lee cannot win. Sai cannot win. And Kai cannot win. You could eliminate those four right off the bat. I think Doring has an outside shot. I think Zeus is going to win. And I think there's the possibility that they just continue the mega, mega push of Miyahara. I think there's a chance he could win it. I don't think he will. Um, but but I, 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 I definitely wouldn't write him off. Um, I don't think Daishi Hashimoto, bodyguard... Uh, can win. Mishimo, I'd give like a 5% chance. I think Ishikawa could win. I think that'd be interesting. There's no way Nomura wins. Uh, there's no way Omori wins. He just had a title shot. And I don't think Suwama will win because I think he just had a recent title shot. So, I mean, you're eliminating half the field right there. So, I mean, I think Ishikawa would be a very interesting one out of the B block. But I don't know. I just I see Zeus winning it. And I see him potentially knocking off Miara. Who knows? But that's looking way down the line. That match probably wouldn't be until, I mean, June or July, right? At the at the earliest. So that's the uh, that's the champion carnival blocks. Junakiyama taking a bit of a step back. Rich, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do some Dragon Gate. Are you pumped up to do nice. some Dragon? I'm ready. Yeah, I thought I was hoping that we might have forgotten it again and then gotten everybody mad. But no, well, you're chomping at so. the bit to do some Dragon Gate because me and you were both late to the party on on one particular match. Because we didn't watch the show until, you know, three weeks after it happened. <laughs> I watched it like two days ago. So. But I know you want to talk, and I want to talk about this match too. Uh, this was uh, on 2-2. This was the Takahiro Yamamura coming out party. I gave this match four and a quarter stars. I have a feeling you went even higher because you're talking uh, match of the year contender for you uh, with this match. 20-minute time limit draw with Big R Shimizu. I know you want to talk a lot about it. I'm going to give my thoughts very quickly. Yeah, yeah, the the one interesting thing I find about this match is Big R Shimizu is 24 years old and he has already been put in the position <laughs> to get a new young talent over. <laughs> right. Because that's exactly what this match was. This was go out there, work a draw with this kid who's what, two years younger than him or something, right? I don't even know how old. Yamamura yeah, I forgot how, how old Yamamura is. We've looked this up before, but uh, I forgot what his age was. But, but yeah, I think it's it, – they trusted Big R Shimizu to go out there win this very important match. And, and listen, there's no shortage. He's, he's 21, by the way. 21 we, we years old, Yamamura. Yeah. Okay. Big R Shimizu's a baby. He's still like a, a, a baby. He's a bear cub, okay? He's a literal child in the grand scheme of things. 24. 
He just got his elevation a year or two, a year and a half, two years ago. And they trusted him at 24 years old to go in there in this very important match on this very important show, which was designed to get Yamamura over the whole show. And they trusted a 24 That just speaks to their trust in Big R and also the enormous amount of youth in this company. I feel like this company, there's like two portions of the roster. There's the mid to late 30s guys who are in their prime who are fucking awesome. And then there's these guys who are in their early 20s who are also fucking awesome and are the next generation of this company. And we talked about this before, but it's just such a great blend of two different generations of talent. And it's all coming together. And, and, and Dragon Gate just never disappoints. And this, and this draw, I love a 15-minute, 20-minute, even a 30-minute draw. I think when you go over 30, that's when it pushes it. And I don't like matches that are over 30 minutes that end in draws. I, I almost never like them. 20-minute draw. Man, was this the sweet spot. I thought this was an excellent match. Rich, what would you think of this battle? Yeah, and I think it, the, the benefit for me was I watched this without knowing that it was a draw, and I watched it, of course, in a different language, so I didn't know that the time limit was coming up. Like, I knew that there was some intrigue in the crowd or whatever going, you know, and I don't know how vocal they were to the crowd, too, that they were approaching the time limit, because I feel like they were kind of taken aback as well, and I think that's the perfect time, and you can do a draw, because one of the things I hate in, in wrestling, and, and they do this far too often, is people allude to, oh my god, they're getting close to the draw, oh my god, they're getting close to the draw, and I, some people like that. Because it adds a little bit of intrigue of like guys trying to go balls to the wall in the last few minutes or whatever. To me, I love it when they don't mention a thing and then all of a sudden it just hits you like, oh shit, it's a draw. And that's what I got with this match where these guys are, are, are out there killing each other. One of the things I loved is is Big R Shimizu has um, yeah more in some type of submit. I forgot what the hell submission it was that that he had him in. And this this was designed as you said to get Yamamura over because Big R has a submission on him. Yamamura is going nowhere, but he won't tap out. He's not passing out. He's not. But he's just not, he's he's lost. He can't get to the ropes. He's he's stuck in the middle of the ring. And they cut to the the, the outside. And you got guys like a Don Fuji or whatever who are holding a towel and going like, well, we better throw the, the towel in for this. And then they cut to Yamamura who, with his fingers, like, no, 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 I'm gonna get out of this. Do not do that. And the crowd popped huge for that moment because it was like, all right, cool. Like, let's see this how this young guy gets out of there. And it was like, and it wasn't like immediately popped out of it either. Then he struggled even a little bit more. And then finally got out of it, and the crowd went absolutely apeshit for it. That's such a subtle thing that, like, it, we, we talked about other promotions wouldn't have done that. They would have the guy pass out and talk about, oh, man, like, he didn't tap out. He just passed out or whatever. Or they would have the guy, you know, hint that he's going to throw in the towel, and then immediately Amor would pop up and do all of his stuff or whatever. But this was, again, a slow progression. Dragon Gate is so good about that. Anybody who, who dogs on Dragon Gate for being, oh, there's things that don't have stories, and they just drag, you know, next spot after spot after spot or whatever. Shut the fuck up. Well, You're so people, wrong. Well, because, Rich, like, well, Rich, people who say that. They, don't watch Dragon. They give away that. That's the tip off that they right, don't. That you don't watch fucking Dragon. watch it because this was subtlety. Every, I mean, fast pace. Of course, they do do because they're so good at it and they have such good chemistry that when they do go fast, it's incredible how how they can sort of work it. But when they want to go slow and they want to tell a story and they want to you know make something poignant, they can do it. And this Yamamura thing was perfect. I mean, that was the moment of the match where I got hooked and I was hundred percent focused after that because he says, "No, do not throw in the towel for me. I'm going to get through this." And he does, and he eventually gets through it, and then, you know, Big R is throwing the shot put slam at him, and then you go, okay, well, that's it. Big R hit the shot put slam, that's, and Yamamura kicks out, and the crowd goes fucking nuts for that, because that doesn't happen again. And, and again, talking about Dragon Gate doing things well, that shot put slam has been death. So when a guy kicks out of it, especially a 21-year-old Yamamura, that's a big deal. So then Big R goes to the shot put slam again, but then the time limit comes, and that's awesome, because you know, again, what, what that tells you at the end is, is Big R had him, you know, you can safely assume that after that, Big R could have pinned him and that would have been it. 
but still, it tells a story that who cares? Because Yamura kicked out of the the, the shot put. He, he got through the submissions. He got through the beatdown because Big R beat him down a lot of the time. And he got through that 20 minutes. So even if he didn't beat Big R, he got through a lot of the hard stuff with Big R. And it shows you that, hey, in the future, this kid's got something. If he was able to get through all this stuff, you know, that's the, the, the sky's the limit for this kid. And I thought they did an incredible job in 20 minutes of elevating one dude to the point where later in the show they brought those guys out to do an attack match because they had to, you know, wrestle again. Well, and the crowd went fucking Well, here, well, let me transition to that. Yeah. Because this is what was great. It wasn't just that Yamamura survived the shot put slam and survived 20 minutes against Big R. Then they come out for the 10-man, well, 8-man, the 8-man tag later. Eight man, yeah. Okay? And they tease that Shima and Mochizuki are going to team with uh, Doi and Ben K in the match. And then Shima says, you know what? I have a better idea. We're going to bring out the two guys who left it all on the line earlier tonight, that 20-minute match, and we're, and we're going to give Big R and Yamamura the spot. And again, it was brilliant. And the crowd popped for it, and it got over. They, they made the fans think they were going to get Shima and Mochizuki, and they gave them Big R and Yamamura instead. In the span of one... Think about this, Rich. In the span of about an hour and a half or whatever it was, Yamamura fought to a draw with Big R and basically got his ass kicked for 20 minutes by Big R Shimizu. Then he took the pin in an eight-man tag. Both matches were well over four stars. He had a loss and a draw, and he still and they still made him. They, right. they made a 21-year-old wrestler in one hour on a loss and a draw. And meanwhile, you have WWE with all of the advantages they have, and they can't get people over with wins. They pushed Roman Reigns to the moon and can't get the guy over. This company gets this kid. They, they make a kid in one night with a loss and a draw. In one hour, they make a kid with a loss and a draw. Rich, that is good booking. And what I thought too was was Mochizuki and Shima the way they sold it too like they were kind of like sullen or whatever like ah you know we're not gonna but we have a better idea for you guys and they call those guys names out and the crowd goes nuts and I think the idea that these guys busted their ass and it's fresh in these people's mind it's not like yes. they waited two weeks to have Yamamura come out and go oh remember when Yamamura had a really good match with Big R Shimizu because honestly like think of attention spans in two weeks you're gonna forget what this match in some way well the crowd that maybe not have seen that match or whatever but instead with that crowd right there in that moment in Cork and Hall they said you know what you guys remember this match from 25 minutes ago right yeah well fuck it let's have these guys come out again and that the crowd went nuts for it because they all remember they were all there and it's like yeah damn it let's see these guys again like i'm, I'm anxious to see these guys again and that that's cool too because i think it's so much more poignant than if you waited a week and, and said oh these guys a week ago had a really good match or whatever not to say that people won't remember that but it's so much better when it's like hey you remember that match uh, you know an hour ago how fucking awesome that was let's let's get these guys out here again that's cool. It's an encore. That's encore at a concert type of deal, which is perfect. I mean, look, this is just brilliant book. I mean, the yeah. guy wrestled two matches and didn't win either one of them. And he took the fall in one of them. And they still – and and it was still his breakout night. You're going to remember this. I don't know if this kid is going to become a star. I don't know if this kid is going to settle into the mid card. Rich, I don't know if he's going to break his arm in a week and retire. But all I know is whatever happens to Takahiro Yamamura, okay – Whatever direction his career goes, you're going to point back to this show on 2217 as his breakout night, no matter where his career goes from here. And he wrestled two matches and didn't win either one of them in the span of an hour. I mean, that's just brilliant. Okay. Everybody says, 
what do they got to do to get Roman Reigns over? You know what you got to do? You got to hire Gato or you have to hire fucking Genki Horiguchi or whoever's booking this shit. That's what you need to do. And that's just brilliant. I mean, it's it amazing to watch that play out. It's just great stuff. And if, and if, if you need the template on how to get young wrestlers over and how to get young wrestlers over with the crowd, just watch the last 18 months of Dragon Gate. Whether it's Big R Shimizu, whether more recently if it's Ben K, whether it's L Lindemann and the things they've done with him, whether it was this. Well, ben, what's funny, you mentioned again, not, not to cut you off there, but Ben K's a guy who's already moved up to the point where like he's just kind of an established veteran guy. Like he's just sitting in the ring during that, you know, the the the, the eight man like you're talking about. Like yeah, it's Ben K. Yeah, it, like Ben K's like a child too, but it's like we have so many other guys that a big R and a Ben K just have already moved up already. All right, get over there, guys. You're already in the you're already in the top. Like we don't even think of those guys as developmental projects anymore. And Ben K has been wrestling well under a year. I mean, the guy, right. the guy debuted. Well, actually, that's incorrect. Let me let me take a look at Ben K. Um, well, no, for all intent and purpose, he debuted in uh, late 2016. For well, no, the spring, uh, April of 2016, was his first real match against uh, T Hawk on a Dragon Gate Next show. I mean, he had some exhibitions prior to that. So you're talking about a guy who's less than a year in, and you know, for for you know the the entirety of career, I'm not even sure he's wrestled 100 matches. And that's another guy who they've done a brilliant job of, uh, of, of getting over. He's wrestled 85 matches in his entire career. And he's been wrestling for less than a year. <laughs> that's crazy. So, if, I mean, the last year and a half, I mean, this is the company to look at. Look at the things they've done with L. Lindemann uh, and how well that that heel turn has gone. And the way they've gotten Ben K over is an absolute monster. And, and, and this, this Yamamura one-night push. And Big R Shimizu going from that terrible anime character but we all saw the potential. Remember, we saw the potential in him. And and they were able to just shed that. And they made him just this beast with this shot put slam. That move is my favorite. I, that is my favorite move in wrestling right now. That shot put slam. And it, I, God, and I can't I blame you. And, and I mean, and, and there's just, they have so, and they're, they're even deeper than that. I mean, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Watanabe uh, uh, is another guy. And they, there's just so many. We can't even name them all. I mean, they're just loaded with these guys under 25. What was it, a couple months ago? Didn't we count? And they have like eleven guys under the age of twenty-five. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm almost positive that um, that um, um, what's her name? Uh, you don't think it up? Uh, um, man, why am I blanking right now? Uh, I, I don't know. No, you do, you do. The uh, um, Santa Maria, Santa, Santa, Santa Maria, yeah. That's on a 25 too, right? If I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah, I think 25 or 26. Santa Maria, 25 years old. So I mean, I you know and. and and again, you know, he was super Shenlong, it feels like, ages ago. Well, Al Lindemann, too, is another guy who's just moved up. I mean, he's not even a, a considered a young wrestler anymore. It's just like, Al Lindemann, yeah, he's, he's, he's you part know, of the he's roster. You know, yeah, and, 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 and they just rolled out. And up. They don't have time for those guys to be young because they have too many more young guys coming in. It's like, all right, guys, move on up. Like, you're done. And, I, and it's like, they are ready, though. That's the crazy part is it's not like they're rushing any of those guys. Like, they're all ready to go, which is just insane. And they just rolled out this Yuki Yoshioka who debuted in October, I think it was. And it's just a constant stream. And it's not, look, the in-ring, we know these guys can all go. Because um, in Dragon Gate, if you can't, you don't hang. But it's just the, the character development and the way that they get these people over, it, it, it just seemingly effortlessly. And, and it's just, it's just, the, and it, they really do. Like, if you're a booker, if you're a booker and you're interested in getting young talent over, I, I really believe you need to study Dragon Gate. Just study Dragon Gate over the last 18 months because they do a better job than anybody in getting these young wrestlers over. Because they know the time is coming for their core roster. 
You know, these guys are in their mid to late 20, uh, mid, late 30s, most of them towards their late 30s, and they're not going to be around forever. Well, and then you have some issues like that, like a Yoshino who might, you know, be done for a long, long time yeah, as well. I mean, so there's injuries are going to pile uh, up, and and Ashida had a had an injury, one of their young wrestlers. So injuries happen, and yeah, like your your Shimas, you're not going to be able to rely on anymore. Your Mochizukis are are getting there, and even guys like a Hulk and a Yamato who are still relatively young. I mean, there there's you don't want the issue where where those you're built all around those dudes, they get hurt. And then you're stuck with, with, oh, God, what the hell do we do now? And, and thankfully, they're not because they've been. Do you have been, any uh, concerns about their future? I have none. No. I mean, because <laughs> th- this crop of wrestlers is amazing. I mean, I have no concerns about their future. I, I think when, when uh, it was when Case and, and we lost half the episode when, when Case uh, subbed in for you one time. But we said you could essentially cut like half of the Dragon Gate roster. Like half those dudes could just retire tomorrow and you would still have an amazing roster. If, if if half those young guys, if half those guys under 25 that we mentioned just decided, fuck this, we're going to make our own promotion or whatever, you'd still be okay. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be fine. You'd be like, all right, well, we got like Big R Shimizu and, you know, El Lindemann and, and Yusuke Santa Maria and, you know, Yamamura, so we're fine. Okay, that's cool. Listen, you know, listen, there's no promotion in the world right now loaded with more young talent, including WWE, who have 100 people in that performance center than Dragon Gate. They have more great young talent than any promotion in the world. Maybe I'm ignorant to what's going on somewhere in Mexico. That's possible. Um, you know, I keep one eye on it. But in terms of loaded with talent under the age of 25, I mean, I'll, I'll take Dragon Gate's under 25 roster over anybody. And and I don't know if it's the same with you, but every time I've been watching Dragon Gate now, I, I'm not as invested in the main event storylines. I'm just, my eyes are 100% focused on these young dudes and watching you can't their take progression. Your eyes like, off. Like, unfortunately, I sometimes I'm like, yeah, do I really want to watch this Dream Gate match? Like, it, it kind of comes to this weird well, point the where, two, two and that sucks. Because the, the 2-2 two, two show is a great example of that because, yeah. we, we, you know, we're, you can hear the excitement in our voice when we talk about these two Yamamura matches. And I had both of them at four and a quarter. If you had the star rate that Yamamura Shimizu match, because I have a feeling you liked it more than I did. I went, I went four and a half. Yeah. That. And that's a Rich Krejci four and a half. Um, who, you know, you tend to be a little stinkier than some <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, I mean, you know, so, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I, I even gave the eight-man tag four in a quarter. I thought that was a, a great match. And, and really, it, it told an extended story like we talked about. But this is a good example because I didn't like the Dreamgate match at all. The Yamato uh, victory over BB Hulk. Um, I thought it felt like it was a million years long. And aside from a couple of big bumps and some exciting spots... I thought the match was a little disjointed. I, I it was, it, it, it struggled to hold my attention. Um, and I, I look, it was another one of these Dreamgate matches that that fell flat for me, and that that is not unusual. Um, did you even bother watching it, or did I talk? Uh, you know what? I'll be honest, I did not. Yeah, everybody told me, yeah, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And I, I, I kind of was low on time, so I, I just straight up didn't watch. It. I don't like BB Hulk ever, really. So I, a lot of times, I'll just kind of skip it because he just never does anything for me. And more times than not, I'm not invested in his big store, big matches. And when I saw that the the bar had you know 30 or 40 minutes left, I was like, ah, you know, no, I'm good. I'm gonna watch some other things. And and if there's things worth watching, I, I will check it out. If people definitely tell me. Um, you know, to, to, to check out a BB Hulk match or whatever, or a big time Dreamgate match, I will. But there are a lot of times where, you know, they're long and, and arduous sometimes. So unless they're a big hyped one or one that I'm really invested in the story, I can skip it pretty easily because, you know, they're not ones that really attach to me anymore, or at least right now in, in Dragate. But the undercard is incredible. Like, I just, I can't take my eyes off the undercard. It's so fun watching young wrestlers develop. 
well, you want to be on the ground floor. Like you and I, we're, we're baseball fans, and we love prospect yeah. hunting. You know, you well, especially now as as a Reds fan, you've had to do it for quite a while. And now as a White Sox fan, I, I kind of have to uh, get back in there. But even even if it's not my team, I love just watching prospects, going to minor league games, following them because I want to be on the ground floor. When that guy comes up, I want to say, yeah, that was awesome. I saw this guy when he was in you know Double A, or, or you just see a random guy in a Double A game and you go, oh man, that guy's going to be really good, isn't he? And, and he becomes good. Or what? you you want to do that because it, it, it feels cool to be on the ground floor of that. People like you. Everybody loves to do that for music and and things like that you you saw the band before everybody thought they were cool people love that and and why not because it's you know kind of a badge of honor and that's what i'm doing right now with this dragon gate i'm like i want to get on the ground floor of all these dudes because in 10 years if this entire company is is, is rock you know firing on all cylinders with these guys i want to say that i was here on the ground floor watching them i want a king of gate block first of all i hope the king of gate does blocks again because that tournament was nipping the heels of g1 last year that was a great tournament i watched every match I even did a uh, – Alan brought me on the uh, DKP show, and we did an entire two hours on the King of Gate. I loved it, and I hope they do the blocks again. I want a King – listen to this King of Gate block that I want. Tell me what you think of this block. <laughs> okay. okay. I want Shingo, T-Hawk, Ben K, Lindemann, and Cyberkong in the same in, – in the, in the, in the same uh, and Big R, those six. I want that to be one okay. King of Gate block. Because I tell you what's underrated about Dragon Gate is they got these mini hosses in that in that promotion. They really do. I mean, you look at those six guys. Again, people want to tell you it's a flippy do promotion. They have no idea what they're talking about because <laughs> they don't watch. It I mean, again, it, yeah. it's just you, you give me those six guys. Yeah, and, ben K doing his you know uh, <laughs> Tope Suicidos all the time. God damn him. I tweeted that to Shima. Yeah. I, I want that block. I want those six guys in a block, and I want them hitting lariats on each other and, and grunting. And 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 beating the shit out of each other for a month, a month and a half. That tournament was like two months long last year, whatever it was. But uh, but yeah, that. Listen, I hope the King of Gate. I hope the blocks come back. I love. I can't wait to see. Look, Ben K. Look, for his great, he's more of a presence guy. He's got a lot of holes in his wrestling game. Okay, I'm the biggest fan of the guy there is. But I think something like the King of Gate, where if you put him in a block with five or six of these world class guys, and he works with them for a month straight, that's a, the perfect example of a guy who can get a lot out of something. Like but I, I, I'm not even positive they're doing the blocks again. I really hope they do, though. But um, so let's see. We got the uh, Champion Gate shows coming up. Those are split shows in the smaller Osaka building. They're not running one big show in the old uh, Body Maker. What do they call it now? The, uh, the Edeon or whatever, Osaka Arena. I don't know if it's Edeon or Edeon or whatever, but yeah. The... Yeah, so they're going to run the Edeon. It's always Body, body Maker to me. God it's the it. Body Maker. That's right. But now they're, they're going to run the two Champion Gate shows in the uh, number two building, which is what? It was that about a thousand seat venue or something like that. Somewhere around there. Yeah. So uh, they've got them split and some of the key stuff on there. Uh, Yamato's next defense is against Cyber Kong. There is this uh, sort of underground hardcore Dragon Gate <laughs> fan push to see Cyber Kong win that. I just can't see it. I don't see that happening. Uh, the, the only pause that I have is that their booking was all thrown off when Yoshino got hurt. Obviously, the year was going to be built around him to a large extent, him and Doi. Uh, you can see that that all got thrown off. So Dragon Gate, when they have to switch course, sometimes they do so with a 90-degree angle, Rich, and they really switch course hard. So I guess it's possible. I don't see it. I don't see Cyber Kong at that level. I don't see Cyber Kong. Yeah, I don't think they do either. Yeah. So I, I'm... The, the problem is I don't really like Yamato as champion either. I think I, I prefer Yamato in a tag team role. I prefer Yamato as maybe a upper mid-card sort of guy. I never really get into his title reigns. I, I 
he leaves me a little flat in these in these longer Dreamgate matches. I I, I don't know. So I, I, I to me, I hope they get the title off of him soon, just from a match quality perspective. I like him as a worker. I really do. It's just he leaves me a little flat in these long Dreamgate matches. I I think he has trouble being that top tier character as well. I think he has a tough time hooking you into the match and hooking you into the feud or whatever. It's something about him that I and like you said, I love his work and I, I love him as a tag wrestler. But there's just something about him being the main eventer and, and like I just never feel like the match that he's having with that guy really means a whole lot you know what I mean like I, it's hard to really explain either but it just kind of I, I don't know I, I don't get that same vibe that I would with a Shingo to me I, when he's in there in a main event against a guy I generally believe that that guy wants to kill uh, Shingo and Shingo has a purpose Yamato I just kind of feel like he's going out there and, and sort of playing around for 30 minutes and and it's not to say that's always bad, but it just doesn't have that same vibe that it does with a lot of the other guys in the roster when they're uh, in the main events or they're the champion or whatever. He's had the Dreamgate. I think this is his fourth run, and I guess maybe I'm being a little unfair because he has had some Dreamgate matches um, on some of his prior runs that I really liked now that I think hard about it. But this current run is leaving me flat. Um, and not just the matches. There's just something about this current run that's leaving me flat. I don't know. Maybe it's because all their booking got thrown off. I, I really don't know what it is. Um, there'll be a Twin Gate um, defense on the same show. This is the second show on the fifth. It's Shima and Dragon Kid defending against Hulk and KZ. Have you seen KZ's new look? Um, I must have, but I don't. Did I remember? Maybe they make an impression on you. He's no longer wearing the coveralls, and uh, he's a very thin man. Much thinner than I thought he was. But he's, 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 he looked like. No, I don't know if I. I must have not noticed him. He's rocking a new look now. So uh, let's see. On the first half of the uh, Champion Gate, the three-four show, that's going to have uh, the Triangle Gate match, which is the Jimmys defending against Shingo, Cyber Kong, and T Hawk. And then uh, you're going to have a Brave Gate match. Ata defends against L. Lindemann. That should be tremendous. Oh, no, I did see that. I did see him in this. He's got like a sunken ab thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. He's got like a weird stomach thing Very going, thin so. guy. Very thin. Yeah, I probably should have kept the overalls, but that's all right. You know what? I, it's good. The overalls were geeky. You know, yeah. I mean, he looks, he looks I thought better. it was time for a fresh coat of paint. That's one of those situations where you didn't know you needed a guy to freshen it up until he did. That's kind of how it right, comes right. off yeah, to me. Yeah. You know, it's kind of an old look for him. You know, he's not he's not uh, MC KZ anymore. You know, he's not doing that whole routine. It's, it was time for a fresh look. So, so those are the title matches. I don't really foresee yeah, a ton of title changes um, among that group of four. Flamita will be back on this tour. Drastic Boy is coming back, yes. which I'm excited about. Now that is flips of the Z, baby. Now, what we had heard at the time, the last time he was there, he paid his own way. Uh, and, and, and put himself on the Dragon Gate tour and it paid off because they brought him back and he got booked proper so good for him I think he's a good fit uh, I like Drastic Boy a lot so he's coming back for this he'll work both of those shows I think he's working both shows yeah he's working both shows now, how about Yamato and Flamita versus Naruki Doi and Drastic Boy that's a nice yeah, that, little big card yeah that's a very nice little matchup nothing wrong with that but yeah those are the two Champion Gate shows on 3-4 and 3-5 as usual, we plan on talking about them, and we'll see if that actually happens. I'm tired. No, we, we got it. We got I'm it. tired of making Dragon Gate promises to the people, though, because there's no promotion that we burn people on promises uh, with more than Dragon Gate for whatever reason. I, I just constantly get. But look at the passion that comes out of us. I, exactly. We, we try to save it, and that's why it's good. But no, I I would like to do it more. I mean, I, I know we, we have to do WWE a lot of times, but I feel like our WWE segments a lot of times are just us getting mad and stuff. What are we? People love it, though. I mean, that, that's the, it's, it's kind of the necessary evil when you do wrestling podcasts. You can't ignore WWE if you're a catch-all podcast like we are. So we, we got to do them. So. You can't not do Sorry. it. It would be utterly right. ridiculous. But, I mean, I think 
we should probably make a more concerted effort to work Dragon Gate into the WWE New Japan mix because it's, it's uh, clearly we enjoy talking about it. <laughs> right. And there's nothing that we get requested more from people than, are you going to talk about Dragon Gate this week? Are you going to talk about... we? Ne- Rich, we didn't even do Final Gate. I mean, that's a bad job out of us. How do we not do yeah, Final that's, Gate? Uh, we, we, it, it was on our list every month, every week. But Until it became old news. Wrestle Kingdom came. <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom. The Wrestle Kingdom was about to come. Wrestle Kingdom came. Kenny Omega worked the universe. <laughs> Kenny Omega did Kenny Omega things. Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble happened. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we just haven't had a time. But like, I mean, that, listen, though. That's inexcusable. I think that's a poor job out of us. We, we, we needed to... We should have found a way to squeeze that in there. You can't not do Final Gate. I mean, that's embarrassing. I mean, I, I so I apologize. I mean, we really should have found a way to do it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, if we, you know, if you skip all Japan now and then, or you don't do every Noah show, one, I really think we need to do a better job working in the Dragon. It's just tough. You know, we run out of time. You know, we're not doing three shows a week. If someone would like to pay us to do three shows yeah, a week. Yeah, absolutely. Pay us we are we listening. will do Dragon Gates. We are listening. So we, we will listen to your <laughs> offers. We are whores. We will do anything for money. So. Absolutely. Um, so that's bouncing around Japan. I think you want a four-hour? No, you know I got another bounce around Japan. Oh, you got another? Oh, great! I got a bonus. Keep the music uh, rolling, my man. I will keep it rolling. See, get mad at me, but you just did it right there. But um, I, this is a cheap bounce around Japan. It really has nothing to do with Japan, but it has to, uh, to do with somebody from Japan. So that kind of counts. Uh, during his birthday party, Mr. Antonio Inoki announced plans for a World Peace Project event on March 23rd in Waga. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that properly, so I'm going to go with Waga. It's a border town of Pakistan and India. And I think you had a tweet earlier in the week about this, and I wanted to talk about it as well. Um, of course, this being the World Peace Project, my initial thought was, ah, the Inoki Peace Festival, the famous 1996 Inoki Peace Festival from the L.A. Sports Coliseum. Uh, the famous event that had uh, about 6,000 people attend when they thought about 20,000 were going to attend. Didn't quite work out that way, but you had mentioned what a great card that was, and I wanted to go over that card right now. And I know I, I have it in... Are, are you on our show notes? I am. Okay, I have the card broken down here. Right. I, I, when's the last time you've looked at this card? Um, I Well, okay, so first of all, I, I don't... Uh, let, me, let me correct something before people okay. think I'm an absolute geek. This was far from a great card. It was a great lineup, but the show itself. That, there, that, yeah, well, card. When I say card, I mean like the yeah, lineup. like the lineup. I, I don't necessarily mean the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've watched this show probably ten times. I know that sounds insane, but I I, I traded for the VHS, you know, like a month after <laughs> it happened, and I watched it with a bunch of my watch by myself, and I watched it with each one of my friends. I am intimately familiar with this fucking card, so yeah, I I'm very familiar with it. Um, I haven't watched it in years, but yeah, I was. I, I'm, I'm all about the Inoki Peace Festival. Yeah, I'm all into it, and I hope. I uh, hope the the, the you want me to world send you peace... the VHS. I think you know that would not be a bad idea. Is it available online anyway? I haven't actually looked. If the uh, the World Wrestling Peace uh, Festival, you gotta watch it on the on the second gen. I don't know. I okay. Is is your VHS? When's the last time you played that VHS? Because it could be. Uh... It may not work, is what you're... You know what I mean? It might, it might fall apart 